Hello humans, this is the Bizzle, and welcome to BizzleCast 23, my Avengers Age of Ultron audio commentary. I've been waiting to do this since it came out in the theater when I saw it a million times, which I will talk about in the podcast. Today is Labor Day, Monday, September 7th. I thought I was going to have to wait until October 2nd to (laughs) release the commentary because that's when the Blu-ray was scheduled, but I happened to see a day or two ago that iTunes was releasing the digital HD version early tomorrow, September, Tuesday the 8th, and I just wanted to be the first one to get this out there. I don't know if there's going to be a lot of competing commentaries, but this movie is amazing, and I talk about in the film, you know, this movie, The First Avengers and Captain America The Winter Soldier, are my top three, and they rotate around, really, depending on my mood, but this is the most epic Earth-based movie ever put on screen. It is the ultimate nerdgasm from beginning to end. It's brilliantly executed from the cgi down to the acting down to the writing it has a mind-boggling number of superheroes and superpowers which is so hard to pull off it's totally seamless between the cgi and the practical this is really the first marvel movie to have cgi that is pretty difficult to distinguish from the rest of the action the winter soldier had this too but that's just because you know most of the fighting in that movie was practical and that's part of what made that movie great was the restraint on cgi and this movie and restraint do not belong in the same sentence but i love it it's dense it's over the top there's a million one-liners most are hilarious some don't land but even the ones that don't land are sort of an internal chuckle director and writer joss whedon and the whole cast kill it as usual and and as much fun as i had with the Winter Soldier commentary, the Reloaded commentary, and the Star Trek commentary. This was by far the most fun I had doing a commentary, and in fact, I watched this entire movie all the way through (laughs) before doing the commentary, and then immediately did the commentary and watched it again afterwards, because there's so much going on. I wanted to be prepared for stuff, and I don't even have time for some of the stuff in this, and just absolutely had a blast. I'm not going to go on too much longer. I'm going to lead us into the countdown here. I get a lot in during the commentary. Uh, It's really so big that I I think it was just too much for some people, and I do get it. But but for me, this is the perfect combination of action, comic, sci-fi, drama, comedy... And as much as I love the restraint and the you know, somewhat minimalistic nature of the first Avengers, Whedon very much wanted to go a different direction with this one. And so I hope you love this movie as much as I do. Even if you just like it, maybe it gets you popped in the commentary. I, I try and balance, you know, being lucid and being giddy as much as possible. I do laugh a lot. This is by far the most I've laughed in a commentary, even though I watched it immediately before doing it. Just cracks me up. I mean, there's like a dozen and a half lines at least that make me laugh every time. So, hope you have as much fun as I do. So, we're going to go through the normal deal here. Cue up your file or whatever to uh, zero hours, zero minutes, and zero seconds. Put on the subtitles. I like to put on a little ambient sound. So, pause it for a sec here and get it queued up. And I'm going to count it down. All right, if you got it queued up, we're going to go. And when I say play, you should hit play and hopefully it'll line up well. So, here we go. Three, two, one, play. Ladies and gentlemen, Avengers Age of Ultron. This movie is amazing on so many levels. I am recording this in August. I just did my Avengers uh, podcast recently, although I've not 
yet released that commentary for the first movie yet. After watching that movie and praising Ultron throughout watching the first movie, which I also loved to death, I was like, all right, Ultron's going to be coming out soon. Let me check online. October fucking 2nd. Are you kidding me? I have to wait till fucking October from May for this movie. So I pulled a few strings. Nothing illegal, of course. Just happened to know someone who knows someone and uh, got a screening copy. And I just could not wait till October to do this in light of doing a bunch of Marvel stuff recently. Okay, this first scene, I mean, if you're not in within the first five seconds, really, of this stuff coming on. And what's great is, if you love Avengers and the Marvel stuff, you're just like, okay, we've already seen more cool action in the first two minutes than we did in all the Avengers, as much as I love the Battle of New York. Look at this, Thor, hand-to-hand, love it. I wish we had got that sooner, I really do, but he is just killing it here. Okay, and this is where the first of many chill-worthy moments. I got the chills in this Captain America thing. Oh man, the motorcycle and the shield throws. Thor, and then oh, the Hulk out of nowhere, it's throwing tanks. And then what's great is that there's a Jeep behind Hawkeye. Scarlet, oh, there's the buddy shot, the hero's shot. Um, there, like, there's too much to talk about. Uh, but so I'll just let you enjoy this, because you've seen this at least a couple times, I'm assuming, if you're listening to this. Okay, so here's the beginning of the Cap language joke, which is not laugh-out-loud funny, but um, is sort of an internal chuckle. And Whedon mixes this movie with all levels of chuckles, laughs, and, uh, you know, belly laughs. Here's a great move here from Thor. Boink! I mean, he just does it all. Whedon, this will be the the theme, is that Whedon loves the Avengers, but after two movies, he knew he was done while he was making it, even though he didn't announce it yet. He announced it sort of late shooting after the shooting. You establish all the characters, witty repartee, <laughs> that, uh, the arrow that just took out the bunker. That might have, must have been the one that took out the rotor on the hell carrier in the first one. All right, here's the language stuff. But look at how he frames it. You're like, up, oh, he's a Boy Scout. Oh, wait, he just flipped a motorcycle and took out a whole bunch of kids. And he gets, he's angry that, that it's, he slipped, even though, uh, you know, well, he's just made uncomfortable by the S-word. <laughs> it's the Avengers. All right, so this, this is a reverse mirror, this movie, of the first. So if they come together at the end of the first, this is the pinnacle of their power. They've been taking down for the last e- calendar year <laughs> what's left of S.H.I.E.L.D. slash HYDRA around the planet. This is the final base and the most powerful, and we'll see why soon. Those are the twins, which were teased in Captain America Winter Soldier. And as a major nerd for this kind of stuff, I, I knew that from everything I was reading and hearing about the actors and just Whedon, it seemed like he was going to nail the twins, but it, it surpassed even my lofty expectations for the two of them. Okay, one shot of civilians taking fire, but it doesn't bother me because I get sick of the gratuitous civilian stuff in the Avengers movies. Um, and it gets very gratuitous at the end of this movie, but the reason... It works is because the mechanism of death for the planet it are the civilians in their city. So this is great, you know. I mean, Tony Stark, from an audience perspective, from our perspective, we know he was an arms dealer, but, you know, by the middle of the first Iron Man, he had, quote-unquote, converted 
but we've never really dealt with his legacy. Look at that. that oh, man, the Iron Man graffiti X'd out on the wall. Immediately sells it. Not everyone forgets what Iron Man, uh, I should say what Tony Stark used to do, which was sell weapons. <laughs> this is great. This is good. <laughs> I'm going to slur there. Yeah, that line could have come out terribly, but this actor is fantastic. And, uh, it, you know, it, in typical Indian fashion, he casts an actor who's so, you know, such a great uh, talent, even if you've never seen him before. You're like, oh, this guy's going to be around for most of the movie. Nope, they kill him pretty early on. Actually, Ultron kills him. Okay, this is great. And one of the many reasons I love Ultron is the rise of Hawkeye as a character. He's the only one that remains undamaged through this movie psychologically, and there's a couple of reasons for that. They had to establish the relationship with the twins early. Yeah, he, he, he develops a very much a, if not a father-son, then an older brother-younger brother thing with Quicksilver. You know, he, he loves him at some level, but he's constantly annoying him, calling him old man. Didn't see that coming. All right, you're wondering when Hulk comes back in. And see, Scarlet with that thank you has already, you know, maybe just because I know Scarlet so well and I just know these movies so well and I knew there was going to potentially be romance there. So I I was prepared. Yeah, he doesn't kill, Iron Man kills nobody. It's ridiculous. It's hard to know with the laser blast, but with the mini missiles, he shoots them in the days. Um, Good talk. No, it wasn't. How, yeah, Iron Man just goes through the truck. But Scarlet's already sold the romance, and they've barely done anything. Right, so the key is, they're at the peak of their powers, and this battle um, represents the, you know, their teamwork in full bloom, fully realized on both a personal and professional level. Okay, so I did a three Avengers podcasts when it first came out, and I talked about the Thor cap. They have at least three moves together, and it's just unbelievable, because after the first movie with the Iron Man laser blast off of uh, Cap Shield during the final battle, you're going, oh, they're going to use Iron Man and Cap together a lot. The language joke continues. But nope, Joss Whedon goes the other way and says, nah, I'm going to have Thor and Cap work together, because Hammer and Shield is kind of cool. Here we go. (gasps) Guys, stop. we got to talk this through. Good to talk. It's funny. Yeah, they have no, it wasn't on the subtitles. That's great. Joss Whedon and his team have a knack for what I would call mid-range or mid-level vocals or voice performance. We saw it there with the, no, it won't, which which everyone can hear, but it's just soft enough to be funny because it's in the background. And Tony Stark has one, yay, coming up in a little bit. That mid mid range from a from a you know a volume standpoint, right? And uh, you know at the at the end of the first movie, we see his you know Mark Nine or whatever it was called that wrapped around him and was so cool. And now they just you know act like it was nothing. Here, yay! Um, and you know him just being able to walk out of the suit without having to take it off is is great. I don't I don't think it was that advanced even in the Iron Man comics in the early nineties when I was reading, but. You know, it doesn't make much sense, but it just looks awesome. And the mechanics, the physical mechanics of it help outweigh, um, you know, any, like, unrealistic uh, science behind it. Okay, so I love the lullaby. You know, they were hinting, okay, so this shot coming up, but they put their hand together, 
that was in the trailer. So there's hinting that there was going to be a, a relationship between the two. I tried to stay away from too many spoilers, but I wanted to be prepared because I knew being Joss Whedon in the second Avengers movie, there was going to be so much going on. And it really took about three viewings in the theater to, uh, to get most of it. The skin looks so real. The touch is so intimate. I love this. This communicates so much about how both, how far both of these characters have come. Hulk can mostly control it now, although we'll see mid part of the movie. Not always. That's an extraordinary circumstance. So that's the so that touch. Okay, and then that look and smile from Scarlet. She's now done three, basically nonverbal things. I guess thank you is um, was verbal, but her look with thank you. So she's done three nonverbal cues, each last about half a second. And you completely buy her attraction to him, even though it's all set up while he's in Hulk mode. Oh, this is great. Right, you had to have Cap do the Hydra shield talk. They don't do too much in the movie. I guess that's part of why you're technically unemployed. (gasps) Right, because Cap took down shield slash Hydra. He he must be loving this at some level. Cap, that is. Uh Uh-oh. Okay, so they do great camera work with the intro of the Scarlet Witch. Um, They do some horror-type filming coming up. Right as she goes out the door, right there, bam! You never see that again, but that's what makes it all the more effective when you rewatch it. It's just one of those million Scarlet Witch things you're looking for. <laughs> that was a crowd pleaser, taking out Van Strucker by kicking the shield. Right, Tony always has to have something bigger, but here it is clearly bigger. Um, I wonder if if Stark is. <laughs> I don't know if I should go here. If he has male uh, physicality um, insecurity issues, let's just put it that way. He's hanging out with Captain America and Thor. I mean, he's kind of a skinny dude. But, you know, performance issues, one out of five, not uncommon. So, we're about ten minutes in, and, you know, we didn't know how to do this so well, which is make them start losing even while they're apparently winning. They think they won this battle, but they've totally lost it. And, it. and they lost it right two seconds ago when Scarlet Witch put that vision in Tony's head because that makes him make Ultron, and then everything goes to shit. This was great to see the whole team dead. They're going to kill off some of these characters. Others will just ride into the sunset. I don't think they're going to recast for many, many, many years, and they shouldn't. They don't need to. When you bring in characters like Scarlet Witch and Falcon, I mean, you're good to go. We haven't seen Black Panther, Miss Marvel. So this another theme of this movie, other than mirroring the first and all the awesomeness, is that Whedon, even more than the first movie, was... This is a little melodramatic, but I'm fine with that. And, you know... Whatever, Chris Evans can do it, everyone. Um, I talked about in the Avengers commentary how much Whedon was being asked to set up, but then you watch this movie and you're like, oh my god, this is exactly in the middle. Even though this is technically the end of Phase 2 out of 3, there are almost as many movies in Phase 3 as in Phase 1 and 2 combined. So really Phase 3, so really it's been like Phase 1 and Phase 1.5, and now we're entering you know the second full phase of movies which starts with Captain America Civil War in May of 2016, which could be the best. Um, we'll get back to that and end with the final Avengers two-parter in 2018-2019. Okay. Aaron Taylor Johnson, who you can't even recognize hardly from Kick-Ass. I mean, they made him look so goofy in Kick-Ass. That was the point. He's the, he's the second twin, even though he's older by 12 minutes. But that look on Elizabeth Olsen's face... 
Oh, that great. I love that. Yeah, the Iron Man hand with the scepter and Tony looking scared out of his mind. That evil smile for the Scarlet Witch immediately sold me on her character and the visuals both from the team, but also Elizabeth Olsen, and we'll get back to this, just gets how superpowers look in general and how superheroes should move to manifest those powers. I mean, Thor is just, you know, swinging a hammer. Hulk is just punching stuff. Cap has to be more creative. Widow, more creative. Hawkeye shooting bows and arrows. But she can do so many things with her powers, both from a, a physicality standpoint um, and also what the powers do. And she's always moving differently to manifest those powers. It's a very. I used to say with the X Men characters, which they are from that universe, actually. And I won't get into the fact that there's two Quicksilvers and they're actually the kids of Magneto. They can't talk about that here, but it doesn't matter. They set up the Eastern European revenge story beautifully. Here we go. Here's the fourth moment between them. How long before you trust me? And Ray, and she's so happy that he said that. He said, It's not you I don't trust. But what he's really saying is, I do trust you. I just don't trust myself. <laughs> this is great. Not the screams of the dead, of course. Wounded screams, men and whimpering, great deal of complaining, and tales of sprained deltoids and gout. <laughs> when he said gout, I just lost it. So, uh, despite Hemsworth's weird subplot at the end of this movie, which I still like, but I can understand what confused people, uh, he is hilarious I mean, in this movie. They really let him strut way more in this one. And that's what you can do with the second movie, now that we know all the characters. I mean, in some ways, Black Widow, I think... Yeah, Black Widow had more screen time than Thor in the first, I believe. Also, you have Thor with the team from the beginning in this one. He had to have the big three here standing side by side. You know? Tony, of course, has a bromance with all the all the men on the team except Hawkeye, I guess. Uh, Banner's his most honest bromance, uh, the guy he can relate to the most from a brain standpoint. Yes, Revels. <laughs> Everyone's on board for Revels. You know, he just admires the hell out of Cap's, you know, uh, both moral and tactical superiority, although he never admitted as such. And Thor, he just loves as a teammate, you know? They just... They complement each other so well. They all have huge egos, although Rogers is mostly in check. Um, Rogers' ego is completely directed into helping other people. He never really... When he screws with other people, he's just having fun. Like at the beginning of Captain America, the Winter Soldier, when he's saying, on your left, on your left, on your left, running by. Over and over again, um, Anthony Mackie's character, Sam Wilson, who would become the Falcon. He's, he's screwing with him. Right, we just missed. Uh, there's that. The problem is there's too many lines in this movie, so I, I'm not gonna. In Avengers, I, I talked specifically about like three to five comedic moments, which I thought made it, you know, in some ways better than any comic book movie, including this one. I put the two Avengers movies at the top, so I'm not gonna dwell on all the comedy, or at least not the one-liners, because there's just so many, and I love the dense one-liners, but I know some of the fans preferred sort of the slow build comedy of the first and i totally get it i love that stuff too and that's why we did it different in the second but <laughs> yeah he delivers that so well right exactly yeah yeah cap will let a german scientist experiment on him and they're at war and these twins feel like they're at war with the avengers and tony stark in particular but even those lines which are a little, I mean, the words that were coming out of Cap's mouth were on paper condescending, but because it's Cap and Chris Evans is just 
such a humble dude, or at least knows how to portray one, you know. He was really making fun of the situation more than Hill, the irony of it all. The Germans are still involved. I love it, man. I talked to the first of it, <laughs> Barton's Thirsty. All right, here's the beginning of the end in terms of creation of Ultron. Um, we'll get back to that. In in the first Avengers commentary, I, com- I commented on something that I, I sort of thought but never really actualized in my mind, which was that there are aspects of Joss Whedon that, and I'm a Jewish person, there are aspects to his humor that are very Jewish. The sort of the neurotic side of Tony Stark, you know, very kind of like just like a rapid fire version of Larry David or something like that. But, you know, I mean, he's constantly just just crushing the Germans, bringing them into these horrible situations. Um, I mean, the Ger- I, I have no problem with Germans today, but, you know, Jews need to joke about it. All all races need to joke about the people who have oppressed them in the past. Um, I say races. What is this, Tolkien? All ethnic groups, religions. So this is the beginning of people making fun of Hawkeye. Oh, you're so important to the team, but you realize that they're only you know, mildly joking that he is the heart and the soul of the team, and we find out uh, the numerous reasons why. Right. He, she says, your suits are going to be um, extinct or, 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 you know, outdated, and Tony says, that's exactly the plan. And this is why, you, I mean, other than just Robert Downey, <laughs> oh, he's working his magic on Bruce. I love it. Bruce Banner, who's really as moral of a guy as Cap is deep down, but they have a real bromance, and Tony is the first guy ever since he's become the Hulk, at least in the Marvel Universe, to embrace him immediately as a brother and best friend. And, uh, I mean, it's really, it, it's, it, you know, I, I joke about the word bromance, you know, with Frodo and Sam. It is sort of a Frodo-Sam bromance. In the sense of, you know, actually being way deeper. Bromance is, in casual terms, a sort of Guys that you have a crush on. But when it's your brother, you know, they're brothers at this point. That's what's so great. It starts as a bromance. So you either like the AI stuff or not. And uh, just to finish the previous slide, I talked about how they needed to find a way to make you like Robert Downey Jr., even though he causes this whole problem out of hubris. But with the vision of his friends dying and him really selling that it was for his friends and for the planet. I mean, that's the thing. They saw the army in New York of the aliens, and they knew that there, there were extraterrestrial things going on, but Tony was the one who flew the nuke up into the hole, as he jokes about later, and saw the giant you know, mothership and possibly other fleets behind it, which is why they had to close the portal. He destroyed the, the master ship that was controlling the, you know, the Chitari robots, I guess they were. <laughs> At the time, I didn't mind the convenient thing of Chitari dying, you know, like you kill the Master Ship and then the Chitauri automatically shut down. They looked organic to me. I didn't, I, I didn't mind it, but then you see Ultron and you're like, okay, it's basically robot armies in both, but the robot army is executed much, 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 much better at all levels of this movie, so uh, we didn't get it right the second time. And actually, they have to kill them all individually, which is a cool twist. No Master Ship. Here, so here's where, uh, as a writer, Whedon is you want to have the audience dislike Tony Stark here just for a couple minutes while he really manipulates Bruce Banner even though it's coming from a good place it always is 
And at the end, when, you know, the twins finally turn, Elizabeth Olsen as Scarlet Witch, as Wanda Maximoff says, you know, <laughs> Ultron can't tell the difference between saving the world and destroying that. Where do you think he gets that? Referring to Tony Stark. And of course, Tony ends up being right in the end, but being right in uh, result uh, is not always being right in decision making. Meaning, if good intentions can, you know, pave the way to hell or whatever, um, then bad intentions can pave the way to heaven. Makes the whole human experience. Yeah, that was a very stock, like, science team coming together. Even the music was so cliche. But it's somewhat understated, and the computer... They have just nailed the holographic computer screens. It's so seamless. It, you do not understand how hard this is, from the everyone from the director to the actors who are looking mostly at nothing, and then the, the post-viz, post-production team has to overlay all that stuff and make it dynamic with the actors. And th- This was a great choice. I love... I call this the rape of Jarvis, and... You know, I guess I actually have time here to explain it. I, I didn't get to it in any of my three Avengers podcasts. It was, uh, or I should say my Age of Ultron podcast back a few months ago when, when Age of Ultron came out in the theaters. Three-part series, 5.0, 5.5, 5.99. But this is Jarvis trying to get a hold of the emerging AI. This would known as, the, you, know, you know, the singularity, not a black hole singularity, but the AI singularity which is when an AI becomes self-aware enough to self-replicate, or just to become self-aware. That's the thing. Jarvis becomes self-aware through the vision, but has no need, like Ultron, to self-replicate and do other stuff. Um, these photo montages and these little you know, Matrix-esque uh, code computer thing jumping around, they use cubes, which is, you know, which is the right shape to use for, for data transfers. But all those images took so much time. So this, the spinning shot, you're in distress. And Paul Bettany's voice, he's starting to get really scared. And uh, James Spader as as proto-Ultron here. Here we go. The whole stop. Please, please. No, you're just angry. It's not a sexual rape, but it does happen because he, he's somewhat assimilating Jarvis. Oh, uh, that's not clear. They say he, he destroys Jarvis. They could have assimilated him. It just feels like a, a, a sexual violation, even though it's AI on AI. I always found that to be probably the most disturbing thing in the movie, actually. And I think Whedon intended it to be, too. It took me a few view eggs to realize why all these old guys are here, and they're all Captain America's friends from the war. It's great. Oh, here's this classic cheetah. I talk about this a lot. Boom, you're looking for this. Look at this smile. He's told the story a million times. He tries to save it. <laughs> why, do I even talk? why do we talk to you guys? Everywhere else the story kills. Right? They get War Machine in. Finally, we see War Machine in three Iron Man movies. We didn't have anything as cool as War Machine in this movie. This is great. It, uh, Maria's Hill, a uh, little <laughs> testosterone thing. Um, you know, she does the best she can with that that awkward word. Yeah, it's a little predictable, but um, Kobe Smulders actually does well in this movie, I think. I, yeah. 
And, and what Whedon does great is it would be so easy to just make the Avengers a love fest, you know, after that last scene where they're just working so well together and clearly have been hanging out 24-7 for at least a year, I think is the implication. <laughs> but Jane's better. Uh, Natalie Portman versus uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, that is a heavyweight battle. I think most people would pick Natalie. Um, but I would put money on Gwyneth just in terms of the underdog odds. I won't, tell, I won't explain what my conception of betting on those two uh, includes. So they worked in Anthony Mackie really late to this, and it was partially because he became such an instant fan favorite from Winter Soldier, and him and Steve becoming best friends. Steve needed a best friend. You know, he has a relationship with, with Tony, obviously, the most, but also Thor and the rest of the team, but he needed a guy who was a soldier, even though he's a soldier from a different time, and Cheadle finally kills the joke. Oh, man. So Stanley has uh, has great cameos in all the movies, but this is the best by far. He really has to act. And, you know, getting drunk with Thor and Captain America, I mean, has got to have been an unbelievable experience for him, even though he's the creator, especially because he's the creator. And these two guys, you could not have picked two better guys. And you can even see from the goofy smiles on their faces that those two guys were you know, in awe of being with Stanley. I imagine at this point having done so much work on their characters both on and off screen okay this is this is a scarlet moment and you if you love scarlet johansson and you love the fact that they're putting her in a sort of 1920s you know film noir kind of thing going on here they got the speakeasy music going on in the background Got the red cocktail. She's got the black and white thing going. Her hair's all done up, but it's not over the top. They wanted to, you know, stress that she's sexy and beautiful, obviously, but not, like, slutty. You know, she is trying to seduce Banner here. Yeah. He's also a huge twerk. So she finally says it after hinting at the whole movie so far. Mark Ruffalo is so brilliant. I mean, I just saw him in Infinitely Polar Bear recently, and again, I'm recording this in late August of 2015 where he plays a, a crazy but lovable bipolar father of two little girls. Um, um, Zoe Saldana is sort of an estranged wife who's also fantastic in it. It's, it's like, like two characters could not be more different. He is loud, gregarious, and selfish, and, and Banner is really the opposite of all those things. He's And what's great is he never acknowledges that he truly gets Scarlet's meeting, even though she's laying it on extremely thick. Okay, and then Cap refers to flirting with her from Winter Soldier. I mean, the connective tissue is brilliant. That's one thing I will give this movie. In some ways, it's it's more aligned with the Winter Soldier because the events are so connected and it's more recent than with the first Avengers movie. Right, he's saying, you know, you you deserve you deserve each other and. The key to, to, to Black Widow in this movie is that, you know, Cap turned her in Winter Soldier to, you know, she's always on the good guy's side in terms of the movies, but that made her think about, you know, trying to be a real person, and that means romance, the possibility of romance. And it would have been so easy to make this movie a love fest, as I was saying, and this scene is, but you needed the competitive spirit. We had Thor and, and Tony. <laughs> you know, arguing, uh, uh, competing over their girlfriends. Uh, yeah, Tony Stark makes this into a sexual thing immediately. He talks about getting it up, performance issues, never want to shrink. That's got to be a shrinkage joke, back to the Jewish humor. Oh, this is great. 
I did the Braveheart commentary a few weeks before recording this. The Prima knocked is so horrifying, but Tony Stark somehow makes it funny. I did not see this coming. This is so brilliant. And even though this is one of, easily one of the best scenes in the movie, represent, man. Yeah, moments like this, I wish they could say words like motherfucker. Represent, motherfucker. Uh, the party trick. They all play it perfectly. No one's scared, but the joke still doesn't land. Yep, there's Cho. Beautiful Korean doctor. She's, she'll be back. Oh, Cap moves it. Oh, man. And he doesn't realize, but Thor sees it. You know, I speculated whether Cap, being Cap, knows that he lifted it, but didn't want to embarrass Thor. Because he knew it didn't mean... It meant that he was worthier than most mortals, but I don't think Cap knew. <laughs> right, so now Tony's been telling everyone about Cap, Cap's language. Or lack thereof. <laughs> they really let Hemsworth be great. And so, like I said, it is a love fast. But they're also competitive, and they really like making fun of each other, which works with the comic book. It definitely works with Whedon. For some connective tissue here, uh, you know, Cap and Scarlet, uh, Cap and Black Widow are very, very close now and work together so well after the events of the Winter Soldier. And Whedon does a great job of not going over the top because they also have to sell her relationship to Banner her sort of brother-sister relationship with Hawkeye and Hawkeye's family, which is so fabulous. We'll get to that. And, you know, I said in the first Avengers that Black Widow was meant to be a secondary character, a secondary lead, not a primary lead, but she really came off as a primary lead. And this one, her and Hawkeye, being the two humans, or, or the lack of superpowers, are the connective tissue in the heart, the heart and soul of the movie. Yeah, there's a little shaky cam in this scene, which Whedon doesn't do a whole lot of. Especially on Tony, he's moving the camera all over the place for the disorientation. So, I mean, the special effects in this movie already in the first two action scenes are way better than the first movie. I, I don't hold any of that against the first movie. It had to do with budget and time being rushed. The technology wasn't there. 2015, it's easy to make robots look real. Easier than orcs, apparently, because the Hobbit CGI orcs look terrible. Oh, this is great. I wonder how many takes. <laughs> I wonder how long Marco Ruffalo spent with his face and uh, Scarlett Johansson's cleavage. And to her credit, she went along with it. I mean, he's a stud and a great guy, I think. But, you know, uh, that must have been that must have been pretty hilarious to be like, okay, face and cleavage, face and cleavage. They actually go out of the way in this movie. And actually in most Scarlet movies, I don't think she demands it. I just think they realize she's so sexy without tons of cleavage. It's just, it's overkill at that point. And, you know, I mean, <laughs> Scarlet's a you know, phenomenal actor. And, you know, it, it. we're here to see her act. And as I've mentioned before, I'm way past my mega crush on her. I've moved on to Elizabeth Olsen and Zoe Saldana at this point. I just love Scarlet as an, as an actor. Boom. The Cap and Thor, uh, yeah, I, you don't include that one because it's not the shield, but they work together so much, Cap and Thor do. Um, which makes sense because Iron Man's always the one, you know, when they're in the big battle, oh yeah, Hawkeye gets to use the shield. Later, Scarlet gets to use the shield. And, but, but the way that Scarlet actually twice uses the shield and, and Hawkeye there, 
you know, they've been practicing together. That's what I talk about. I don't think it's appreciated. You know, everyone's favorite scene in, in terms of action in Age of Ultron, or uh, I'm sorry, in the first Avengers, in Battle of New York, is that extended shot where they show every character working together, taking out bad guys. That ends with Thor and Hulk, you know, taking out the whole flying dinosaur creature and then Hulk punching Thor off screen. And that's the first and only scene of them really fighting together in, sort of, in terms of combining powers and skills and abilities. They do this the entire movie. It's almost too much, but I just, you know. I mean, you know, if the first Avengers was the challenge to DC, this movie, I think, before Batman v Superman ever comes out, this movie has already doomed that movie. There's no way that movie, from a from a teamwork character standpoint, um, yeah, of course they didn't clear the mansion after all that. They left all the, the evil robots staying there. I think Batman v Superman is doomed, at least in comparison. I know this movie was supposed to make a little more money than it did. It still made a billion and a half dollars. I don't see Batman v Superman doing that. Maybe. It doesn't mean it's as good. Uh, they really make um, Dunsheetle as um, as Rhodey um, or War Machine a central part of this movie. He's an implied Avenger, so as like Anthony Mackie is an implied Avenger. You know, in, in the party scene, um, Sam Wilson with Steve Rogers, Sam Wilson was sort of insinuating that you know he's not a full Avenger, but he he is, and we see at the end definitively that he is, and they finally get War Machine on board full time. He's not working for the U.S. government, where his talents are wasted, and we need him as an Avenger. And they do a great job again setting up for future movies, including Civil War, where where Falcon and War Machine will be huge, huge, huge parts. Oh, here we go. Right, it's a love fest, and now they're strangling each other. Right, Cap's always... As I mentioned in Avengers, in the middle of the movie when Loki's manipulating everyone, and, and Cap is really ripping into Stark and vice versa, and they're challenging each other to fight, that's the last time that Cap loses his temper. Not the last time he gets angry. He does. He needs to get angry when it comes down to it for either big leadership moments or big battle moments. But... That was the last time he sort of irrationally lost control of his of his wits, and that was because Loki was working his magic, and he was disoriented from coming out of the ice and so forth. <laughs> this does not land. I-, I saw this movie, so I hope you don't judge me when I tell you this, guys. It's pretty pathetic, but <laughs> there was something about how awesome this movie was in the theater. I knew it wasn't going to be as good on Blu-ray, and that's one thing I'll give to the Avengers. The first one, having pathetically not seen it in the theater, it just translates better because it's not all big action like this one. I knew that I wasn't getting a chance to do that again. And, you know, it was May and June, and, and uh, you have time for that sometimes. And I went with a bunch of different people, and my dad and friends, and I, I probably saw it six or seven times over a two-month period. But that last little bit where he starts laughing about the killer robots totally didn't land. And I don't think it was supposed to. I think that was Joss Whedon just trying to make... You know, Tony Stark is so smooth and hilarious that he lightens most situations even when they're horrible. But he actually wanted Tony to be... to make the situation very awkward and uncomfortable there. It's amazing that... You know, you'd think that Cap would be ripping Tony's head off right now, and, and he probably wants to at some level, but, you know, Cap immediately 
being a solutions-oriented person, to say the least, as he always says, let's get this done, immediately turns to the problem, and he's like, without saying it, is saying to himself and to the audience non-verbally, I'm going to deal Tony personally later, but of course they bond again so much through this experience that they gaze into each other's eyes as as uh, Rabidoff chides, chides camp later. So I knew the twins were going to be cool for various reasons, because it was Whedon, because he knows how to deal with female, strong, badass female protagonists. He knows how to deal with non-traditional relationships in terms of on screen. And Firefly, the network really did not want Zoe and Wash to be married. They didn't want a married couple on a pirate ship, basically. And ultimately, we needed one, and that's one of the great TV relationships ever, even though Wash, spoiler alert, dies in the Serenity movie. So he handled that well, and he handled these twins well, where, you know, twins, it's weird, because they are, they, especially once, you know, they get past adolescence and the competitive stuff. So my younger sister's best friend from childhood, who grew up across the street, had two younger siblings who are identical twins, a boy and a girl. And so I got to see them all the way from babies up till now, where they're awesome human beings. I won't name them, because I don't know if they want their names out there. I don't think they care. Alex and Lauren, and their older sister Katie, their family's awesome. And they're so, they're so similar to these twins. They just have an innate connection. And, you know, you have to make it look non-romantic. Because with real twins, you know, I mean, in today's day and age, there's no threat of that happening. But in terms of just appearance, the optics, but with two actors or actresses, like, these two could be love interests in a different movie. And it would work, because they're great young actors. But they sell the brother-sister thing, and they sell it by her taking the lead, and mostly letting her take the lead having them be very different personalities, make fun of each other. She's the more ruthless one. Um, yeah, he's, he's, he's actually the more emotional one in some ways, up until the end when, when she goes through her whole major character arc. Oh, God, Scarlet Witch and the final two battles is just amazing. I, uh... This might have been one of those things I like read a long time before this happened and then just erased from my memory that Elizabeth Olsen is the younger sister of Mary-Kate and Ashley. Her name is Olsen. She looks like them, if you know to look for it, although I think she's much, much, much prettier. I think most people would agree with that, that she's more beautiful overall. She looks more like a normal girl. Those girls are so skinny. She's, she's a full-bodied beauty without being over the top. Uh, she's, so, I would say, sort of a little bit more refined Maggie Gyllenhaal sort of between Maggie and Scarlet in looks. N- not comparative looks. I'm just talking about the shape of their faces. All three of them are beautiful. Oh, the red eyes is great. And, uh, you know, this this is the exposition that when you watch the movie seven times could get so old where they're just telling the story of why they hate Tony Stark and why they agreed to be experimented on. But we, w- that's the line that, that you're... Oh. Uh, some of us said, I know what they are. I thought he says, they know what they are. I know what they are would make more sense, I guess. But the way, the way that um, Aaron Taylor Johnson is, as Quicksilver delivered that line, they sell their hatred of, of Stark really well in this movie. And so, I mean, 
Here's the problem with Cap Civil War is that, you know, you can't find one person that's going to be on Tony's side. Falcon clearly is going to be on Roger's side. Scarlet Witch, who hates Stark and is now, you know, working under Cap, she's going to be on Cap's side. Agent 13, played by Emily Van Camp, with her cameo in the first movie, setting up the love interest with with Sharon Carter. She's going to be on Cap's side. I guess, uh, you know, War Machine will probably side with Tony, at least for a while, being you know, their best buddies. I don't know which way Barton's going to go. I can't imagine Black Widow is not on Cap's side after this movie and The Winter Soldier. There's a rumor out there that Spider-Man fights Cap, but I think that's sort of like when Thor and Iron Man fight in the first Avengers. That's like getting to know each other fight. A fan service fight. I don't think Spider-Man is... You know, Spider-Man, especially because he's really the only Marvel superhero that cares about his identity being hidden. That's what makes Marvel great. These guys are all open. And so they become celebrities like Cap and Thor and within the movies where people know them around the world. That's awesome. That should be what superheroes are about. Not just that people are saving you, but that you can see their faces and you know their names. Right. So here, here's the... the um yeah, okay, Andy Serkis as Ulysses Claw, great. So now they're talking about Stark's somewhat sordid past, I guess I'm not sure sordid is the word, his somewhat sketchy past as an arms dealer, which he inherited from his dad, which is part of the reason. So let's put it this way. You, you find out in the first Iron Man that Jeff Bridges' character has been running the show for a long time. Tony's just a super genius. He lets the, the Jeff Bridges' character run the show. So a lot of the horrible uh, deals that went through in terms of selling weapons to, to terrorists and stuff he didn't know about, which doesn't make him not culpable. But uh, but yeah, here it is. Here's his here's his past. You know, I mean, that's what this movie's about. The twins. They that that's the whole point why they hate him because his weapons were used upon their town. It, you know, again, we didn't in very little time. I mean, we're 42 minutes in. The connective tissue has not only been reestablished between all the major primary and secondary players from the previous Marvel movies, but you know, I, I mean the twins' motivations from both a, a logistical standpoint and a performance standpoint have already been completely sold. <laughs> Andy Zergis can do anything. You know, he's he invented performance capture and continues to be amazing as you know, lead CGI characters both performance and voice, but it's great to see him act. And God, with the, you know, with the scruffy, you know, South Africa thing, tattoos guy, he looks like a total badass. I'm not sure. I imagine him in this role, although having learned about Ulysses Claw through my study of Black Panther, which this is setting up there in Wakanda, or, or near Wakanda, and they're not in Wakanda. So vibranium is basically the Avengers version of adamantium. It's nearly indestructible metal. It's what Cap Shield is made of, and um, not many people know about it. The nation of Wakanda, while extremely advanced and the only nation with uh, vibranium, which is why they're so rich and so advanced, I suppose, or one of the reasons, So Claw is the big bad guy in Black Panther. I'm not sure if we're going to see him in Civil War, even though Black Panther is going to be a huge part of Civil War. Black Panther, whose real name is T'Challa, the king of Wakanda, being played by Chadwick Boseman, which is an amazing get for Marvel, and he will be 
one of the those major players in the Marvel Cinematic Universe once Thor, Cap, and Iron Man are, are, I guess, out of the picture if they decide to, to stop making movies. The cuttlefish, yeah, the cuttlefish bit is great. Circus is just a brilliant actor. That's why the motion capture works. It's not just because of his mental brilliance and physicality, but because he is truly a great actor. Give him a role like this, he immediately owns it, and they've set up the Black Panther villain. <laughs> Especially when Ultron cuts off his arm, if you know. Ulysses Claw. Look at that. See, I appreciate that Andy Circus looking at nothing completely sells that Ultron is over him. If anyone can sell that, it has to be Eddie Circus because he's usually the CGI character. He totally does it. So Ultron cuts off his arm, uses Ulysses Claw, and the uh, comic has sort of a ghost in the shell kind of uh, computerized mechanical. Uh, prosthetic left arm it's hard to describe it's like it's like a metal but it can go into two fingers four fingers eight fingers 16 fingers it's like it's weird so i love spader you know i mean if you know whedon for the most part he likes to keep his villains evil but funny I suppose Chiwetel Ejiofor um, is the one exception in Serenity, but Ejiofor's performance as the operative, such a stone-cold killer, was so compelling they didn't need him to make jokes, especially because the Serenity crew was, was popping jokes. You know, people nitpicking. They said his face doesn't look good, his lips don't look good. But the point is, he is supposed to look a little cartoonish with the Pinocchio connection, and this being a Disney movie. You couldn't have him look like completely like a Terminator, even though he has the red eyes. Although, they go way out of the way to make his red really more orangey, less threatening, non-Terminator red for the eyes to distinguish him from the Terminator and all the Terminator's clones visually. <laughs> Breaking an omelet. Yeah, it's all it's one-liners in this movie. I love it for this type of movie where it's just a ton of action. Uh, right. He says this was never my life, but he's not even convinced of it. Oh, that. Uh, oh, we will. Yeah, Elizabeth Olsen has this like bitchy cockiness to her that I actually find very appealing. Um, not as a man necessarily, but as a audience viewer watching her performance. You know, she's she's so young and she's so slight, and even though her powers are ridiculous, we find out that she is very emotional and secure at some level, as all tra- traumatized people are. And so, you need to give her a little bit of bitchy cockiness. Yeah, and it also distinguishes her from Black Widow. Black Widow can be very dark and sarcastic, but, you know, she never comes off as bitchy. Scarlet's characters really never come off as that bitchy. I don't know. Except Don John, but that was the point. She was supposed to be like a Jersey princess. She played it to a T. Nailed the Jersey accent, too. It was great. She's great. Okay, I love this Scarlet suit. I know. I mean, it it looks a little goofy, but this is the Avengers. She was in all black in the first two major roles. She played Avengers and Winter Soldier. Here's Hawkeye shooting all of his arrows in five seconds. One of many things that's great about this movie is all the major characters get to have extended battles with Ultron. Oh, yeah. They. Sh- I wonder if they showed that in the theater. The hammer trick. It did that to the Hulk, too. Um, yeah, the slow-mo under the shield punching Captain America. It's a, it's a CGI guy he's punching, but it just looks great. The, the CGI is really seamless in this movie. 
it helps that they're robots, but like right there, you know, there's another Thor cat move. Right, but the practical stuff they still nail. It, it's seamless, you know, and the robots are both more real looking and more appealing looking than the Chitari. <laughs> oh, poor Bruce Banner. Mark Ruffalo just kills it as Banner. Guys, this is Code Green? Yeah, unwisely goes to investigate. <laughs> Them not anticipating after Tony's experience with the enhanced that, you know, bringing Banner into the situation with the Scarlet Witch might be a bad idea. This got huge laughs at really every screening. Even the even the one sort of later on, like my fifth, sixth, and seventh, when the theaters weren't always full, still got less. So Cap has gotten to to progressively kick more ass in the Avengers. He you know starts to get his ass kicking going, and you know in that in uh, the Winter Soldier, he takes down three helicarriers, the entire army of Hydra, and the Winter Soldier, and takes down you know. Shield and Hydra, both physically and bureaucratically. Uh, this, the, yeah, true Avengers fans, which were most of the, or at least people who've seen the Avengers, who saw this in the early screenings, people, you know, were clapping at the mind control line because everyone's, no one's bitter that Hawkeye was mind controlled in the first movie, but we all wanted to see him be, you know, fully in control in this one, and it's fitting that he's the only one who doesn't get fucked with with the team in terms of the Scarlet Witch. Yeah, one of the many awesome uses of Scarlet Witch's powers are mind control, but as cool as these these vision things are, I know not everyone was crazy about this. You know, they really needed to make the characters go fully three-dimensional in this one. And, you know, and remember, you have to assume some people didn't see the first Avengers or saw it once and don't remember it, and so... So, who's Black Widow? Oh, she was an assassin. Who's Captain America? Oh, he's a soldier from World War II who loved a woman named Peggy Carter who he worked with. Who the hell is Thor? He's from Asgard. You know, another planet with demigods that he rules over. And so, you know, we didn't use the hallucinations to communicate that in this movie. Oh, there's Peggy Carter. She's such a beauty. Haley Atwell, I talk about this in The Winter Soldier, she's played so many versions of herself in so many different ages and different time points in Cap's life. She had her own show, or at least a short run, called Agent Carter, which I didn't watch because I'm not really into period pieces, but I heard it was excellent, and she's great. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if that gets renewed, but she's just, she is such a commanding, intense presence. So Scarlet's a classic beauty that I had a crush on for a long time, and now love just watching her as an actor, but Haley Atwell is a catalog that I really dig in girls. Or one of many. <laughs> I appreciate all forms of beauty, people. Alright, here's Heimdall, played by Idris Elba. He, it's so great and disturbing if you've seen the Thor movies because his character communicates so much in the Thor movies by, you know, doing and saying so little. He's other than one brief fight scene in the Dark World. Here we go. It's interesting that um, Thor needs to revisit that particular vision i guess when you watch it for the second or third time you see the infinity gems and everything but it's too quick for him to fully process but anyway so idris elba gets to go completely the other way as 
while still playing his character. And Presage Thor bringing the end of the world, which is setting up Ragnarok. I guess one of the main criticisms of the movie was Thor's plot, which is so blatantly setting up Ragnarok. When you watch it multiple times, you really realize it's setting up the end of this movie in terms of the vision and still pushing the Infinity Gems thing forward. So I dug the Thor stuff, and he gets so much great comedy and drama. Balances it right out. Right, he's been fighting him this whole time, and then one tiny missile blows him up. He hasn't taken his vibranium cocktail yet. Um, as Tony accuses him of juicing later. So, or as I was, I don't think I got finished with before. All, all the major superhero characters get to fight Ultron at some point in various ways. Actually, I, th- I would say Cap's second to last act, where they're in South Korea and it's Cap and Hawkeye and Black Widow trying to contain the situation before the twins join them. Cap fights, or at least holds off and distracts Ultron and his bots extensively in that scene and really I mean this movie makes Cap look way more powerful than Winter Soldier and that's the point this is an Avengers movie that was a spy thriller you know I mean if you want Captain America who's your leader to keep up with these guys you got to make him a little bit stronger than maybe you thought he was but because of Evan's performance and the production oh my god you know, it, you totally buy that Cap's powers are increasing. This is a brilliant idea. So the Hulkbuster, I, I believe, is from the comics. It's definitely from the comics. I can't tell you where. I did, as I talk about it, the Avengers. I read Iron Man growing up along with the X-Men, but I didn't read a lot of like the full-on Avengers, except when there was crossover. So I knew stuff about the Hulk, Cap, and, uh, and Thor and so forth. But I, I never expected I would come to love Cap and Thor and Hulk as much as I have. I did love Hawkeye growing up just because of the bow and arrow thing, being a fantasy nerd, and he had a great costume. But, uh, you know, we're in Africa, and this is great. I mean, finally we're in, like, a non-white country, even though we end up at the end back in Sokovia, which is Eastern European. But I read Iron Man growing up. I never saw or heard about the Hulkbuster suit growing up. Uh, But I wish I had, and... uh, you know, there was no comic collecting for me from like 1993 until maybe last year. I started to collect some of the more classic trade paperbacks for these characters and the X Men and a couple other Black Panther, Doctor Strange. Not so much to read them, you know, all straight through all the time, but just to have some fun stuff to look through occasionally. And, you know, I like collecting that sort of stuff. And then some of the stuff like Winter Soldier, you gotta read the Winter Soldier comic. Oh man, it's so good. So this fight's amazing. And they do it all in South Africa. And so, you know, while there are more helpless civilians again here, you know, gratuitous civilian saving, as as I've come to call it. Uh, oh man. The fight is so good. And the, the seamlessness between the mega CGI battle and the actual practical, you know, location environment is so seamless in this movie. 
and the uh, the South African extras that they got to to work on this are amazing, and not just like the cops, but like the regular civilians in the market around here and the in the mall later. Up. Oh. <laughs> it's got big glass. Go to sleep. Go to sleep. Go to sleep. Oh yeah. <sighs> It's just so creative. I mean, everything that... That's the thing. He talked about designing Veronica, which apparently is an Archie reference. Um, I've heard Joss Whedon is a fan of Archie. And that, you know, they hint Veronica in the beginning, and Bruce Banner says, hey, don't hate, I helped design it. But you'd think it's just a giant Iron Man suit, but it does so much. It sprays him, it punches him rapidly in the face, it creates a, a, a binding on his arm so he can fly around with him. And what's great is, you know, like the Iron Man suit, it has lots of sort of laser powers, but don't use a whole lot of, like, bullets or or missiles. I think that's just part because, you know, he loves Bruce Banner, and he knows if he has to do this, he does just want to put him to sleep, just not want to kill <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, man. More great Tony Stark uh, green screen right up on the face stuff. Gotta love it. He's Robert Downey Jr., so brilliant. But this just looks seamless. I mean, this whole battle is so much better from a both a, a visual and technical standpoint than anything in the Battle of New York. Other than the Hulk taking down Chitauri, that that looked pretty seamless because that was just CGI on CGI. But here's you know here's CGI with a real environment. And I guess they did have Hulk you know running through and breaking buildings in the Battle of New York in the first one. It looked pretty good. It's just less consistent. This movie has gratuitous action, has gratuitous one-liners, and if you're not into an excess of, of one-liners in action, then this isn't the movie for you, but I felt that after The Avengers, which was the classic, you know, origin, first team-up movie, and by classic, I don't mean, you know, imitating past classics necessarily, it does draw from the comic books, but setting the bar for, okay, this is what a, a, a team-up movie looks like that even the better of the X-Men movies have not accomplished at all. But Winter Soldier was very dark, very spare, sparse. There were only, you know, three primary players, a couple of support players on the good guy side, and it was all bullets. Um, a lot of people died, so they went back to the Avengers formula, where the stakes are a little bit higher, uh, maybe. Um, or at least from, you really don't see civilians at all in... Uh, Winter Soldier. I've often praised it for actually killing people and making it more real, but there's no blood, and they're really just killing bad guys. Although they do kill a bunch of good guys, like the people on S.H.I.E.L.D. who who were on the right side. You see a lot of them die at the end of the Winter Soldier when Hydra, you know, is revealed and takes over, but there are no civilians there. But it just, you know, the, the whole point of the Avengers, like the X-Men, is that he's based in America, but it takes place all over the world. And that's what's so cool. This whole team with all different levels and types of powers and personalities, it, it's supposed to be global. And, uh, you know, Avengers was meant to be on a helicarrier. And then in New York, which is really Cleveland, it didn't look like New York, whatever, no biggie. 
Yeah, the little we saw of Stark Tower in New York at the beginning of this already looked better, or at least it already looked more like New York. And they wanted to go global with this, and with $50 million more million, having to pay higher salaries and more expensive CGI and more locations, I do not know how they pulled it off. Africa was really Johannesburg, and I've been to Johannesburg, and that was definitely Johannesburg. They did a great job destroying Johannesburg. I've never been to Seoul, South Korea, but I have seen it in movies, and it looks great in this one. And then the fake city of Sokovia, I think they did, like, they, some was in, like, northern Italy and some in England. i got to read up on that again. That was a multiple location thing to get a look of a city that looked very European but not any one place specifically. That was important. And it, you know, they they could have just made it like a Polish or Ukrainian or Romanian city. Uh, it's supposed to be like Romanian. <laughs> this is an agent. <gasps> right, Tony, Tony's... <laughs> I know all your names. Okay, so I love the family stuff. I know people thought this was corny, but... When you put it in context of these guys and their costumes, and then this sort of cliched family scene, it makes it so good. And then the fact that, so they sell, I mean, Scarlett and, and um, Jeremy Renner are, are great together already. This locks in the closest of their relationship. His wife loves her, is not threatened by her, even though they work together all the time and she's beautiful and, you know, brilliant and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> that got big laughs too, Thor. Yeah. Thor's still a little immature. It's great. But there's a moment where, you know, you know, Hawkeye's still kind of, like, helping Scarlet walk up until they get into the house. But as soon as she sees... Hawkeye's little girl, she completely perks up and comes back to herself. And, you know, the upcoming scene, see, yeah, that, that, that it just it was great. But the upcoming scene where it's Linda Cardellini, who I think is fantastic in this. I, I loved her in Freaks and Geeks, and I, I wish she had more of a career, but, you know, I'm sure she's been doing a lot of stuff. And she's fabulous and totally convincing. They have great chemistry considering how little time they have together, how much of a surprise it was. Jeremy Renner with and her too, yeah. She's uh, that's the thing. I mean, they hinted at, at at Hawkeye being more of a sort of regular guy in the first one, and you know, I joke about how Joss Whedon must have been promising him that he was going to be more central in the second one after being mind controlled through most of the first one, being kind of two dimensional at best. Not his fault. It's just how the story called for. Right? You're so cute. Nat and Banner. What? I'll explain when you're older. I love that. I mean, this is so great, and this is classic Whedon. He is the most perceptive guy, both on the battlefield and off. He knows what's going on between people. He knows what's going on, you know, on missions. He sees things other people don't see. She gives him a little jab, you know, like his best friend and another guy that he's close with, Bruce Banner. Natasha Romanoff, one of his best friends. Not his best friend. He has no clue what's going on there. He's the only one. Even his wife, in three seconds, is able to see it. Man, I'm so proud of you being an Avenger. You know, I mean, it's tough. I think maybe I give Joss Whedon some allowances of of corny things, because to me they're not corny, because, you know, 
all of his works that I've been engaged in have a thread of, of humor, but also family. And uh, family's very important to him. And in the first movie, they're, you know, they were fighting for the world, but we didn't see what they were fighting for for themselves other than Pepper Potts, really. Yeah, she Linda Cardellini kills this moment of drama. She she just keeps it she keeps it real. She keeps it understated. She plays a loving wife, but in 2015, you can't just have her be, you know, like a one-dimensional housewife. And uh she's making a huge sacrifice for him, obviously. He's living off the grids with these kids. Who knows? I I suppose they're homeschooled. Is the only thing I could think of. My guess is that's in Canada. It has a, has a Wolverine, Alberta kind of feel to it. Northern Canada would seem to make the most sense. Yeah, I don't know where they got this woman. She looks so familiar. She's fantastic. They show her at the end in the New Avengers facility, along with... Kobe Smulders and all them, so I guess she's going to be back. Oh, great that they used the Loki scepter. You're going to the whole movie. They can use the scepter. They can use it. They can use it. Yep, they did it right. Mind controlled one person. But anyways, we didn't really want to establish what these people are fighting for in this movie. Because as epic and fun and funny as the first Avengers was, the Winter Soldier was a little bit... (laughs) It was a lot deeper politically, obviously. But it was also deeper on an emotional level, even though it was mostly just Cap and Black Widow here. And that's the whole point, was we got to really go inside their minds in that movie through their relationship with each other and their dialogue. And with all of the action... And all of the character stuff. And especially all of the setting up that Whedon was and here is being asked to do. You had to let him get some real human drama in. And scenes like this and, you know... You have to earn the action. And not just the specifics of the action, but the action itself. There's so much action in this movie. I guess the thing the Avengers did brilliantly was there was never a lot of huge action scenes. Like, the like the big four action scenes in this movie are bigger than really anything in Ultron. From an uh, execution standpoint, if not scale standpoint. But what the first Avengers did well was there was just a tenseness through the whole thing, which is why, you know, the the build-up to the end, while epic and awesome, it never really got a ton of drama in or action in. It sort of found a nice little middle compromise, uh, which was very refreshing, which still is. This movie is more standard a little bit, I guess, thinking, uh, thinking harder about it in terms of the drama really being separated from 
from the action. Now, the comedy is tied into everything, and so that's what makes it work, even when it goes slow, fast, slow, fast, slow, fast. What I do like about this movie is it is a bit of a non-traditional structure, if you look at it. It's got at least five acts, because the different sections are so distinct. I think it has six. I I was trying to count. You got the opening battle against Hydra. Okay, so just really quickly, this is the revelation that Scarlet was, um, that Black Widow was sterilized at being trained as an assassin as a kid. Which, you know, I guess they're trying to explain some of her motivations through this. So you've got the Act 1 is taking down Hydra. Act 2 is the party and the introduction of Ultron. And the trying to find of Ultron. Act three is the Hulkbuster and everything in Johannesburg and uh, and Africa. Act four is here. Act five is South Korea with the other characters doing various things. And then Act six is the big climax in Sokovia. And yet they still keep it to touch over two hours. So, so Joss Whedon has to write, you know, incredibly intricate plot points that all connect together. He has to write extended dialogue that's both hilarious and three-dimensional from a drama standpoint from all these characters. Oh, God, this is great. I know they, they pre-screened this to some people. It got a great response. One of the podcasts I listened to described this scene. <laughs> he rips apart the... Yeah, he rips apart the log. Right, that's the, okay. So this is a part where I wish the connective tissue was actually a little bit more blatant, and he me- would mention. Yeah, by the way, I'm talking. You know, he's he's saying. You know, every time we try and stop a war before it starts, innocent people die, and he's referring to a lot of things. But he's definitely referring to the taking down of Shield and Hydra, who was forced to take down because they tried to stop a war before it started by killing millions of people, uh, based on. Um, you know, a crazy algorithm that Hydra developed in the in the uh, upgraded uh, <laughs> carriers. <sighs> um, so, you know, I guess if you've seen Winter Soldier, then you know that's what Cap's talking about. Is Obviously, he's talking about this situation, too. But... I like the way both of these actors play it. You'd think this is going to be yet another fight between Tony Stark and someone else. Another, right, but he, it flips right here. Right, who cares very much about you? And the thing is, this is this is sold better by Samuel L. Jackson's performance than by, you know, the actual history of these characters. I mean, they work together in the first Avengers movie after, you know, Nick Fury attempted to unsuccessfully attempted to recruit um Iron Man earlier on in the in the MCU uh storyline um and they definitely bonded during that experience but then the Avengers kind of disbanded and then Shield was taken down and Nick Fury went into hiding and now he's like a father figure again as i mentioned before you have to assume that a lot more kind of character interaction has been going on than we're explicitly told. But they sell it through the acting, and so the other stuff you can fill in in your brain, and that's what's great about them, about these actors. 
<laughs> okay, so here's where the uh, the weird Thor storyline uh, starts. But, you know, as ridiculous as the storyline is, enforced as it is in some ways, um, it's forced in the sense of forcing a plot point and also forcing a setup of Thor Ragnarok, the third Thor movie by Love Selvig. And anything where Thor gets to be more cosmic is, is great. We're all waiting for the big third movie. Um, and, you know, this is a great mirror of the party scene where they were all a little self-satisfied, a little complacent, thought the battle was over. It maybe was until Tony made the battle not over. But as fun and funny as the hammer scene was in the whole party, there's something comfortable about this. This house is great. It feels like what it's supposed to be, which is a rural family house, farmhouse. And, you know, Samuel L. Jackson's cutting vegetables. Uh, Hawkeye's, you know, throwing three darts in the bullseye past Tony's face. Right, Black Eye refers to... Uh, Black Widow, Black Eye. Black Widow refers to the guy with the black eye patch. Nick Fury has boss. He used to be her boss. You know, some of those relationships, you just... You know, it's like, uh, you know... It's been like 10 years since I've graduated college, and I'll email a professor, and I'll call them professor or doctor, and I've had them get you know a little bad with me. Like, you can call me by my first name now. I'm like, ah, it just feels weird. All right, the mission is global destruction thing. You know, how does Nick... Okay, first of all, how do they not know that that's the mission? We already, as the audience, know that. But if they don't know it, then how does Nick Fury know it? Oh, this is great. The little moment between Scarlet and Chris Evans. You know what, Romanov? You know, I mean, they were so great together in Winter Soldier. And, and it, Winter Soldier launched a lot of things. As I was getting to before, you know, more serious emotional arcs, digging into their histories and past, etc. But it also showed that you can establish uh, relationships or, or expand on relationships in the solo movies that carry over to the team movies. And uh, for example, if I were to predict one, I think there's going to be a relationship between, I mean, not a sexual relationship, a, a, a friendship or something with the Vision and Scarlet Witch. They both came together in this movie, they're both very powerful. He saves her at the end when he didn't need to. He, when he's created, she's so fascinated by him. They're now, you know, two of the four new Avengers that we see at the end of this movie. I don't know. You know, his, you know, his, his data-like, you know, android zen thing is just the perfect balance to her emotional instability and youth. I mean, his wisdom extends billions of years through the mind gem back to the creation of the universe. I just think those two actors will be great together. I don't, I don't know why. I just have a feeling the Vision and Scarlet Witch are going to have something. Mark it down, people. You heard it here. They're going to be buddies. And I will also predict that she will be broken up and devastated when he is killed, you know, trying to stop Thanos in the final Avengers movies. Yet another prediction. You know, it's funny, you know, so many people, 
you know, love TV shows. People watch tons of TV. Now with Netflix and HBO, I, I really don't watch that much. I really have to get into a, a series. And so for me, you know, all, all the fun that people have at the water cooler between episodes of television I have with the movies, but, you know, you have to wait two, three, four, five years sometimes between movies. So, um, what's great is, you know, there's so many Marvel movies now, and there's going to be so many more. We've only, they'll basically double the amount of movies almost by the end of Phase 3 in 2019, and some of them are not even announced, like, you know, Ant-Man 2, is that going to happen? I'm sure Black Panther 2 and Spider-Man 2. I mean, by 2020, they're going to have about 25 movies out from the cinematic universe. And uh, <laughs> I'm decrypted nuclear code. You don't want me to. Yeah, he just gave RDJ anything. He goes, oh, man. So uh, there is a joke about We see Thor coming out of the pool, and we see the top of the chest in his back, but we don't see the full Thor chest. And for the ladies, Joss Whedon. I mean, even me, I wanted to see Thor's Thor's chest. You gotta show I guess they do show it very briefly. Yeah, the lightning effects, pretty good. Global destruction. The four Infinity Stones that we know about. I actually thought it would be cool if they teased the two that we haven't seen, which I'm assuming, well, or have to be a green and orange, being, you know, the sort of the six colors of the rainbow. Those are the two we haven't seen yet. But little things like her plugging the plug into the back of his head. He does look a little shiny, but it doesn't make him look two or two and a half day. Um... The shape and the contours and, and the curves and the textures. It actually helps them in some way because they're not, you know, they're, they're, they're almost saying we're only going to go 80% realistic and just make it look awesome. Yeah, very cool that she reads Ultron's intentions through the semi organic um, vision or, or proto vision. Yeah, and he doesn't know what she did. God, she looks great in red. That yeah, that that shawl thing she's got is just, just stunning. I think she's twenty two or twenty three here in this filming. It's crazy. He can't be much older. He might be younger actually. <laughs> I joked, you know, the tracksuit. You know, everyone thinks the tracksuit first Quicksilver is on the nose because he's a runner. So okay, we're gonna give him running clothes, but. It, <laughs> If you've ever been to, you know, like, Eastern European countries or certain European cultures, um, <laughs> they do wear tracksuits, from what I have seen and understand. It's, uh, I think there's, you know, I think there's a couple things going on there with his tracksuits. And, of course, they do the two stripes, so they don't have to pay Adidas. They should have just paid Adidas. They pay Under Armour. Yep, a, a bunch of painful-looking lasers, including blood on Cho. Oh, that doesn't lead to her death. They should have just killed her. I mean, honestly, the scene would have had so much more gravitas. And, and as cool of a little side character as she, as she is, and she's a good little actor, who cares? Just kill her. Let her die when Cap's there. It raises the stakes. And so, you know, I joke that Whedon is maybe going out of his way not to kill people, which is hilarious because... In Firefly and Serenity, you know, definitely Firefly on network television and Fox, he tried to get as much death in there as possible. So I don't know if that's just Disney 
Because when it's Captain America, Winter Soldier... Look, it's basic math. Winter Soldier and Galaxy made $750 million, which was both way overperforming, especially Galaxy. The Avengers movies make a billion and a half, so they make double what the, what the top solo movies make. And part of that is having this be more of a family movie, even though this movie and Winter Soldier are both rated PG-13, you really can't take, you know, 11 and 12-year-olds. I, would, I wouldn't, at least, to Winter Soldier. Um, although these days, who freaking knows? So, you know, <laughs> I mean, are they really trying to make the Avengers movies more family movies than the Marvel solo films? I just don't know. I don't care, though. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, the writing and execution is so good. You know, if your biggest complaint is they're not killing enough civilians, I think you're in good shape. Okay, so this scene's great, and this is the sort of, this is the winter soldier scene, if you will, of Age of Ultron. I'm sure, (laughs) thanks, Martin. (laughs) He gets really frustrated with his teammates. That's great. Right, and even though in Winter Soldier it's all guns, you don't have anything like Ultron with the laser blasts and whatnot. Just Cap being at street level and trying to, you know, fight much stronger foe while protecting civilians in an urban setting while moving around. I'm sure he had this planned already, but it didn't help that the Winter Soldier did these street level scenes so damn well. Up oh, there goes the shield, gotta get that back. So, yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, you shoot Captain America three times, and he, quote-unquote, almost dies in Winter Soldier. Yet Ultron, you know, with all of his power, he's just blasting. This is, this, this is very comic book, though, and that's why I don't, you know, criticize Joss Whedon for something this Like, right, so why, why don't Ultron's super-powerful energy blasts really harm Captain America, but if you shoot him with a bullet, you know, he's somewhat vulnerable. Here we go, here's the Matrix moment. Hard right. Now, he's looking, though, not looking at code. He's just looking down. This is great. She's got the shield. She gets to use the shield a couple times in this. Did she go beep beep? I think that happens a little bit later. Oh, man, that suit looks amazing. Oh, here we go. See, this, this, this is what makes this movie special. This right here. Her sliding under the truck throwing the shield up, hitting Ultron, and then doing the Batman uh, Dark Knight move there with the quick stop on the motorcycle. You know, the green screen shots of her riding on the motorcycle look seamless for the most part. Yeah, the C- I mean, there's CGI cap all over the place. The rest is all CGI cap. Oh, there's real cap. That's CGI cap. I mean, I can only tell because I know... You know, the logistics, the physical logistics of how these things are shot and then enhanced with CGI, but I can't really tell based on how it looks, and that's about as high of a compliment as I can pay to a movie like this. Yeah, this whole this whole part is clunky. They can't, you know, these robots can't even get into the cockpit, and then somehow they conveniently start flying the cradle away so that so that Scarlet can drop it in the stealth jet. But who cares, because we've got these guys turning, and you totally buy. Because they already, are, even before Scarlet Witch read Ultron's true motives of, of global destruction, and we're starting to get, I think, a little uncomfortable with what they were being called to do. 
Oh, this is great. Yeah, Cap just straight up fights Ultron. I was hinting this earlier. I mean, you gotta do it. You gotta do it. Even if the laser blasts, you know, aren't hurting him. And he is wearing armored suit now, so I think that's part of it. And it would make sense that Iron Man, who has energy blasts of his own, you know, maybe, I don't know, it's something in the suit. But this is how it is in the comics. The superheroes, when you get hit by laser blasts, for whatever reason, they're, 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 uh, their tolerance for laser blasts is higher than their tolerance for, for bullets. Right. So they don't just... First of all, they should kill Scarlet first, and then they just launch this thing in the air so that she can do her thing. But their face is opening up and turning into uh, propulsion um, <laughs> devices. is great. And this just looks amazing. The cab of the truck just floating. I mean, this looks seamless. None of this would look as seamless in in the first movie. And you want me to take it? Oh, yeah, baby. Oh, yeah. So, right. So, who cares about the logistics being weird in this scene? These guys turning to good guys. Yeah, baby. Oh, yeah, I love how betrayed Ultron feels. How he needs, he hates, but loves humans. He needs their approval, even while he's trying to destroy them. And that's what makes him a very cool villain, I think. People get hung up on his little quippy jokes as being not evil enough. But, uh... But as the movie comes to the close, and I think that's why the second half of the movie works so well, as fun as the first half is, it is Ultron does become darker and more complicated. Right, this is the close the portal thing. Cap never wants to sacrifice anyone, especially his teammates, but he knows that that thing has to get the hell out of here. And they set up that they trust Cho, and and the fact that Cho says the mind gem could level the city, Cap immediately buys it. Right, he puts him to work. Again, Cap being a natural leader, inspires people without trying, gives orders without being condescending. People follow him because they know he's the best. Yeah, Cap getting hit by that thing there. I mean, Cap just takes so much punishment. you got to love it. That's part of what's great about him. It's the Han Solo thing. He just gets the shit beat out of him. He never stops. Okay, so Scarlet Witch stopping the train. I think looks amazing what she's doing with her arms and, and body. As I mentioned at the beginning, Elizabeth Olsen just gets what her superpower is supposed to look like. Aaron Taylor Johnson, while, you know, doing a great job of acting when he's at high speed unless they're doing a slow-mo i mean he doesn't really have to do anything the combat that they do have him do looks great but she she really has to look weird as they say like dr strange is gonna look like it's magic but as i comment in one of the podcasts and this is where cap realizes that Tony's going to pull something again, and she has to make him realize that he's not going to do the right thing in, in her mind and destroy the cradle. Ultimately, he does do the right thing for maybe the wrong reason. We'll, we'll get, perhaps get to that. But in the Avengers podcast, I commented that Scarlet Witch makes it look like a mutant power and not magic, and I love that. And they basically are mutants. They just aren't born with the mutant gene, but they're experimented on, and so it explains their powers satisfactorily enough for me. But uh, she makes it look like a superpower. And with the effects, the sort of wispiness of it, um, it, there's just so many cool dynamic things you can do with the 
sort of sort of wispy clouds that that come out of her hands and actually come out of her whole body as we see later when her brother dies and she just loses it and screams and you know oh man right here we go right so Jarvis was more advanced than even Tony was giving Jarvis credit for until he dug him out of the inter- deep on the internet and it's such a great idea that Jarvis, even though his memory was dumped, his protocols weren't. And his protocols told him, okay, I'm in the internet, I'm a good guy, you know, he's designed to be a benevolent AI, that's the whole point. <laughs> right, <laughs> the whole point is, they should have just used Jarvis at the beginning and not tried to create Ultron. But Tony didn't realize how advanced he was, that Jarvis would basically, you know, start fighting Ultron in the net without really knowing what was going on. Right. You had to do this part, but you know Ruffalo would nail it. And this is the monster thing, and this is why the monster thing works, is they're they're constantly calling each other monsters. And it's an interesting device by Whedon. I'm not sure what he's trying to say. I mean, you know, as I've commented on, all the sort of epic... If you take both Avengers movies... And Captain America the Winter Soldier, and Captain America Civil War, which is not yet, but we know what it's going to be about. Okay? Those are the four biggest Marvel movies in a few years span, and they are all dealing with problems created by themselves. And again, this comes straight from the comics, you know? In the X-Men line, with the good and evil mutants or whatever, it, it, it it's similar. But I wonder how many times you can use that in these films. And that's why they're building up Thanos. You finally need a cosmic bad guy that comes from elsewhere. It's not just humans, you know, trying to kill each other. Yeah, that that part just a second ago where Ultron was like, I hope you'd woke up. I have no one else. He hates and loves people just like he hates and loves himself, like Gollum. Yeah, he's got some Gollum characteristics. I mean, he's he's more... A little eviler, if you will, than Gollum. Gollum's just twisted and and tortured and tormented. And right, that was a weird gag. And this is this is Ultron on the the uh, uh, the uh, vibranium cocktail. He's juicing. Right, so you get a second science bros moment, the basically the same thing happening all over again. Even with similar music, but slightly darker. Yeah, where the hell did Scarlet find the radio stuff? But who cares? It's a great idea that these two would know how to find each other the old school way. Uh, convenient that they got rid of Hawkeye so they could do their little Ultron Part 2 plan, which would become the Vision. So, from here until the end of the movie... Greatest superhero character development and action ever seen on screen. And I don't even know what's close. So, need another fight between the Avengers, but what's great about this dynamic is you don't know who's going to take whose side. You know, Cap... Yeah, Cap was ready to strangle the twins, and now he he bought into the Scarlet Witch's accusations of Tony. 
<laughs> I love how Quicksilver just destroys the whole thing. He has a temper. They both do. This is great because you get to see things from his uh, his time perception. <laughs> you didn't see that coming. Uh, Quicksilver gets another one in on Renner later. All right, here we go. Everyone's fighting everyone. Cap. Iron Man going after each other. <laughs> there was a great, a great line before where uh, Bruce Banner says, "I could strangle you without, without changing a shade." Meaning he could, he could, he's so pissed at the Scarlet Witch for what he did to him in Johannesburg. He could kill her without becoming the Hulk. Okay, so this is where Thor's storyline comes together. What's great is you don't know whose side he's on. The filming of this is amazing. The lightning effect is as good as it's ever looked. It's not that the rest of the film so far hasn't been amazing, but everything with the vision is just so epic and cinematic. No sci-fi or comic book movie has ever achieved what happens over the last 45 minutes or so of this movie. It sets the bar to a level <laughs> that, you know, A, I don't think there's any way Batman v Superman is going to reach. And as great as the Russos were, Captain America the Winter Soldier, the directors of that movie, and they're directing Civil War, and then the final Avengers movie, Joss Whedon did not do them any favors uh, with the last, the last act of this movie. I suppose it's possible they could figure out a way in Civil War to approach the final Sokovia battle. And they're going to have to find a way in the final Avengers movies twice to do so. That's why they're keeping Joss on as a consultant. They need him. They need his creative juices. His weird, unique genius. <laughs> yeah, they developed that nice little Quicksilver gag where he, whenever he stops, he's running sideways or backwards to slow himself down. I like it. So who knew that Paul Bettany, as the voice of Jarvis, would turn out to be not only a great Shakespearean type actor. But a really good-looking dude. I mean, he makes that practical makeup and prosthetics. I mean, it looks so good. This is why you need practical effects. It's mildly digitally enhanced in places, but they painted him and they put all those things on him. <laughs> it's definitely the end times when, uh, when Thor agrees with Stark. So they got it right this time. This whole scene with Vision's amazing. I almost don't want to talk too much. The mind gem in his forehead is such a cool touch because he does have a gem-like thing in his forehead. In the comics, I believe, it's not the mind gem, but they needed to keep building with the Infinity Stones thing. And that's why it is great as the Vision is. And I teased earlier Scarlet Witch potentially having a friendship with him going forward, and they're building it here a little bit. She's so fascinated by him. Yeah, that's Renner saying it better get real simple real soon. It's hard to tell. I'm on the side of life. So, you know, the mind gem gives him the power and the knowledge of the universe. But it's Jarvis's evolved matrix that makes him a protector of humanity. You know, Tony's been building towards this with Jarvis since the first Iron Man movie, and actually before the first Iron Man movie. I love that. What will you do? 
if I turn out to be a bad guy. Yeah, even the Hulk at that moment is going, uh, I don't know if I would miss this guy. I mean, Jarvis has to sympathize a little bit with Ultron, because he sympathizes with all sentient beings. But he does the math and knows Ultron has to be destroyed. And, you know, what's great about Thor throughout this movie, and then when he talks about the Infinity Stones, is that he... Maybe I just missed some stuff in the Thor movies. We know that the Asgardians know about the Infinity Stones, but Thor knows more than I was expecting. And as much as those dream sequences of his, the visions, you know, continued the Infinity Gem story forward. Oh, there it is, the hammer. The, the gasps in the audience were extremely audible when this happened. It was a mix of gasps and chuckles and nervous laughter. Um, and none of the six or seven times I saw it did people not gasp, even if there were only five people at the theater. There's been so much action and drama. I mean, this movie's so dense and thick. That's part of why I love it. I love dense movies when they're smart and exciting, like The Matrix Reloaded. Yep, there's Scarlet Witch. She's fascinated by him. Yeah, that's my prediction, people. Mark it down. But, uh... They needed, even though they, they're adding the twins and they're fleshing out characters like Hawkeye and Black Widow, really all of them, it's, it's personal in this one. Yeah, Captain America never has anything to do, so he claims, even though he could have any woman in the world, <laughs> he hates you the most. Ultron does, Tony Stark. I love that they show the earpiece, because they imply the earpieces throughout the movie. It's like, okay, they are actually using wireless earpieces. And Cap, in the first Avengers, by the end, he's become the leader. And Iron Man has to sort of tacitly tell Cap to call it. But Cap's development over the Winter Soldier is is a leader of humanity, really. The moral heart of humanity. (laughs) Uh, Get off your asses, lazy Eastern Europeans. (laughs) And here's Scarlet Witch using her mind powers for good, which I meant to tease earlier, but it's just great. It makes total sense, but you don't see coming. And, you know, this is what Marvel does so well, which is to do montages with speeches over them. The Lord of the Rings does this great, too. They did have the Science Bros montages, but this is the important one. Here we go. The monsters. Yep. Even the vision is affected by Rogers. Oh yeah, and the focus to Tony, who who really is on board with Cap at this point. So, uh, anyway, so both Cap movies and the first Avengers, we're building to this, where Cap is the unquestionable leader of any of the Avengers, no matter who they are. Avengers come in and out, we're adding Avengers, the Hulk runs away, we don't know where Tony Stark is after this. But, you know, as long as Cap is alive and breathing, he will be the leader and people will follow. Yeah, and you know, you kind of see coming what's coming up in a bit, where she makes a turn into the Hulk because the job's not finished. What's so sad is if Romanoff had left with him right there, he wouldn't have run away. But she forces him to become the Hulk, and they wouldn't have won this battle without him. But by doing so. 
she forces his hand to make that. <laughs> How much time you got to confess Tony Stark sins? Oh, man. Here we go. Juicy. <laughs> I don't want to say puppy. He's like, he's like A-Rod. Or Barry Bonds. Right, I like how how Tony makes one last appeal to him to change his course. I mean, he, he knows Ultron's not going to, but... You know, it continues the theme of the sort of the weird father-son dynamic they have. Alright, so... You know, this is the greatest superhero battle of all time. There's nothing close. I really hope the Russos <laughs> can channel this. No, this is the Battle of New York of Age of Ultron. But the effects are way better, way more epic. It's really seamless. I mean, there's so much hand-to-hand fighting with the robots. And, you know, they made the robots have guns. Oh, man, here we go. The Scarlet Witch. They build the Scarlet Witch evolution in this scene so well. She's really trying, but for the first time in the movie, even though she's doing the right thing, she gets overwhelmed. They really build towards it in a brilliant way. They really did take everything from me. This exchange is amazing. Oh. You think Ultron's gonna hurt him, but he completely burns Ultron's connection to the internet. Which there creates a situation where Ultron can't escape from Sokovia. He's locked in his physical form. Now he can communicate with the robots' army, but they do have to kill every last one of them. No master ship like the first one. Oh, that's great. That's the best Quicksilver action moment up until the, the until the hero circle at the end. They were the biggest nerdgasm ever. They, I love what they did with the, the visualization of the internet. And yeah, oh, and the way that vision is one with the internet and with life and connected with the mind gem. I mean. They kind of go ghost in the shell with this movie, with, with Jarvis, Ultron, and Vision. I love that. You know, the internet has been a big part um, of these movies. Obviously, Winter Soldier doing the Edward Snowden dump of intelligence, but this takes it to a new level, where the cosmic, the earthbound, and the digital all come together through the Vision. They did a great job of teasing this battle in the trailers without revealing the Flying City. I had no idea this was coming. You know, I guess if you were thinking hard about the meteor thing, you might put it together. Uh, but, but, oh my god, I, I don't know how they did this. I don't know how they did this. Okay, so I talk about Sokovia's going for a ride line. That's a direct reference. No doubt about it, to... Serenity, the Firefly movie that Joss Whedon did with that brilliant cast, short-lived but classic all-time great series, and uh, Summer Glau, who was a disturbed but extremely powerful and talented young girl, or young woman, in the beginning is sort of half-forced to go on a mission with the crew because things are getting really desperate for them out on the furthest reaches of the galaxy or whatever, the, the pirate crew, lovable pirate crew, and They need her telepathic powers, and she ends up saving them, but not for the reasons they expect, from the zombie-like Reavers, who are not what they appear in. Her brother asks, you know, she's she's half out of it, sitting on the hovercraft as they're about to go out on the mission, (laughs) and her brother goes, River, do you know what's going on? And uh, she just says, we're going for a ride. And they had the Friday, the Friday AI. 
you know, imitate that. I, I'm sure Joss Whedon had that that actress, that voice actress, listen to the line. They're such a perfect replica. Sokovia is going for a ride. Yeah. Yeah. He immediately knows she's right. But what she doesn't know is that this is his last battle for a long time. I don't think we're seeing him until 2018 or 2019. This is awesome. First of all, she's riding his back. Second of all, he jumps up to the Flying City, which is already hundreds and hundreds of feet in the air of that boy. Oh, look at that. So Hollywood. They just know how to film Scarlet. And he looks so real. I mean, you watch the first Avengers after this, Hulk still looks cool, but he looks real in this movie in a way he's never looked in any of the movies before. You know, even though they kill Quicksilver, they really sell his turn to the good guys and let him kick some ass in this battle. And actually, he's he's mentally stronger than his sister for the most part in this battle. They sort of switch roles. Right, okay, here's the gratuitous civilian saving. But it's all worth it for right here. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> I don't know why it reminds me of, of Nero, Eric Bada from uh, the Star Trek reboot where he goes, Hi, Christopher, I'm Nero. <laughs> right, so the cap getting his ass kicked, getting annoyed with his teammates continues in this battle. It's so subtle, but Roger just plays it so Right, and this is the second part of the Cap's speech, and everyone loves this line. This is the line of the movie. You get killed, walk it off. <sighs> yep, no one questions Cap. They know what he's saying. Look at that. I do not know how they did the Flying City. It looks so real. Don't see any civilians die. <laughs> Hulk actually doesn't do that much at this battle. He, I mean, he... It's sort of implied that he's taking care of a lot of the bots, um, but because he was such a big part of the first battle against Hydra, and of course the Hulkbuster, they don't oversell Hulk in this. You know, he could easily take on this whole army, so they have to let the other heroes get their moments. Here it comes. Favorite scene in the movie. Favorite relationship. This is definitely continuing going forward. Now, I predicted that her and Vision are going to be Betty's, but his father-slash-older-brother relationship to her is definitely continuing in Civil War and beyond. Okay, here comes the most hilarious part of the movie. <laughs> City's flying. He says it again, City flying. Fighting an army of robots. <laughs> uh, so Jaswedan, I have a bow and arrow. None of this makes sense. The city's flying. Army of robots. Here it is, though. He goes from humor to gravitas so quickly, but he still sells the fear that he has, and he can sense in her. Here it comes. The other gray line of many in this movie. Yeah. Go out there, you fight to kill, you're an Avenger. I like that they said fight to kill, even though they're killing robots. <laughs> Alright. Now he says good chat in the subtitles. I always thought he said good shit, but I guess not. Okay, so this is how they sell that he has more arrows, is that they put it in his, uh, in his, like, on his legs, and they, sh they, expand outwards. It still doesn't explain the massive amount of arrows, but it helps a little bit. Oh, uh, this is, yeah. Cap almost can hold a car. That's the thing. You never, as strong as Cap was, you never think he could hold a car with a person in it. <laughs> right, and they, the other car falling, you don't really see until you watch it a couple times. Thor throws her up. He's been flying from the ground, of course, where he was below the cavern. Um, 
And then you realize later that there was a second car, and right, well, this is happening, Thor's taking care of it. Oh, yeah, okay, I'm coming out of nowhere. And this is great, using the magnet to suck the robot in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Were you that big? That's a callback to, uh, to the first Avengers, where he says, oh, you getting sleepy? It's a Thor. Here we go. Oh, man, that's probably the best. The baseball swing with the hammer. Yeah, it's going to be hard to talk during this. I guess I won't attempt doing a full play-by-play because -play it's just so dense. Okay, so all the majors have to take on Ultron. Thor here. We saw Cap in Korea. We saw Iron Man in Johannesburg. <laughs> Never get tired of, you know, what's great about the arrows is you know he has these detachments. Oh, man. Okay, I mean, I was already in love with Olsen at this point as an actor, but <laughs> as Hollywood as this is, her performance, oh, she slams it into the ground. I mean, look at her. Oh, creating so many different kinds of energy blasts and attacks. And, you know, it's a big nerd thing, but to ask a young woman like her who's never done stuff like this before, I mean, she... I grew up on X-Men, and so, as I mentioned, <laughs> uh, this gets big laughs. <laughs> yeah, I'll be missed. I miss them already. No one would know. I mean, as hilarious as all the characters are in this movie, I think Renner is the best. He does have the best material, and he's the most three-dimensional, but... I don't know. Renner just really steps it up here. I lo I really liked Renner's potential before this movie, but oh, here we go. Okay, so they've been teasing that Hawkeye's going to be the one that dies the whole time. And then they misdirect you even more by, you know, Quicksilver's narrow miss that back there. And here is Scarlet fighting with the shield with Cap. Oh, man. Never thought I'd see Black Widow fighting, but they've been fighting for years now together. I mean, they probably practice that shield thing all the time. She, You know, she's already used it multiple times. And she gets the weight. She gets how to use it with Cap. Hawkeye does it much earlier. So they spend a lot of time with the logistics of this. And like most, you know, techno babble stuff, <laughs> it, it does make sense once you've listened to it a few times and process it. It doesn't even matter, though. You get the idea. Yeah, it's already too high up. They can't shoot it back down. They have to blow it up. Right, and here's Cap. Cap doesn't believe in uh, knowing scenarios. Actually, Stark. Oh, that's what's interesting. It used to be that Cap, you know, it used to be that Cap accepted the reality that some people would have to sacrifice to win um, soldiers or, or Avengers. And Iron Man was one who believed, who didn't believe in knowing scenarios, and now Iron Man is resigned as as Black Widow is. This is the end to save the rest of the world. And Cap, for one sec, accepts what Black Widow is, is selling. There's no way out. But they bring back the helicarrier with fury. And the old school ones with the rotors. Good thing Hawkeye's not after them. They blow up a full rotor with his arrow. Um, This just gives you shells. I mean... In hindsight, you know, you should have seen this coming a mile away, but I did not.
I think it was so obvious that I was trying to think of an. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't pay off as well as you want, but it's they they cut so well. Okay, this guy from Winter Soldier, he's the guy that says Captain's orders and won't initiate the Hydra Protocol and almost gets killed. Agent Thirteen saves his life. They loved his performance so much. He, he's so fabulous. They gave him a great cameo here. He gets to be both in charge and awkward and funny later. Okay. So as much as the, this is not so bad, as much as the helicarrier itself gave me chills, Quicksilver's delivery, um, Aaron Taylor Johnson's delivery of, you know, the smile and understanding that maybe S.H.I.E.L.D. isn't as bad as he thought and the Avengers aren't as bad as he thought, that really youthful, childlike smile of almost, of relief and understanding, he just... That gives me the most chills. Oh, yeah, they bring back War Machine, finally. That's better than any of the Iron Man movies. Here we go. <laughs> God, this looks and sounds amazing. Oh, man. <laughs> we get through this, I'll hold your own. Tony's making penis jokes all the time. You know, in the first movie, performance issues, Thor's hammer, it's great. Yeah, he is a complex. And so, as I mentioned earlier, <laughs> even though this is the most gratuitous civilian saving of all the Avengers of Marvel movies, which is saying a lot, here we go, top to left, yeah. This guy's got great delivery. I'm sure they're going to bring him back for Civil War. Right, they had to have Hill and Samuel L. do a little bit of fighting. Right, and of course they come after that guy. They had to have him come after that guy. He's constantly almost getting killed. Uh, that looks like a Klingon thing. I want to know where Fury got that. You know, that giant Klingon-like dagger. Uh, 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 uh. Chris Hemsworth oversells this misdirect a little bit, but it's still funny. Are you ready? That smile, though. You never see Thor smile like that. He's so pumped for... That's the thing. He's not threatened by Vision the way he was threatened by the possibility of Captain America. <laughs> they give Hemsworth so much great stuff in this movie. So, what's great is Tony is trying to blow up the rock, get the civilians off, fight the robots as they try and kill the civilians, and just run the whole plan all at once. I mean, everyone steps up their game. Oh, yeah. See, that's in the comics. That's Not only do they distinguish War Machine by the color, and it's great that they make the black, you know, the black guy have a black suit, I think. Um, but it's not over the top. But he has that machine gun on his shoulder. Sometimes it's a rocket launcher. Okay, here it is. They're building up to it. You know, we saw the heroes circle up in the first Avengers, but they're just building the plan. Here, they circle up all, I think, nine or ten of them. And they actually fight in the circle, and it's the greatest. <laughs> you would better, better not be playing hide the zucchini. Oh, God, another penis joke. It's amazing. How does Whedon come up with this stuff? Yeah, and the Hulk always comes right when you need him. Um, I do not know how they filmed this scene coming up. The CGI mixed with practical location stuff. It's so seamless. I do not know how they do it. Right, I mean, Ultron sarcastically joked about the evil villain speech earlier, and now he's actually giving it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. Like the old man said together, Hulk screams. This is really reminiscent from a spiritual standpoint of the end of the first Avengers, even though visually it's so different. Look, I love how they come from top down. All right, so focus on Cap, Vision, and Scarlet Witch. Because even when it looks like the camera turns away from them, you can still see them being awesome. They just get so many angles. I do not know how they do this. Vision, you know, ripping them apart from the inside. I like that Vision can be ruthless. Yep, Cap. I do not know how they did the Cap spin there. Okay, watch the Scarlet Witch. Bottom right of your screen. Just keep your eye on her. Look at her. So sexy. So effective. Her powers are seamless. Yeah. The thing is, the slow-mo, you had to do it because there's so much going on and you want to live in this moment as much as possible and see them all kick, you know, multiple asses. (laughs) Hulk (laughs) bites off the robot. Okay, right here. Okay, okay. This This is the greatest. Okay, the mind gem shoots the laser. Oh my god. And you're like, okay, Vision's taking him on. And then Thor with the lightning. Oh, and, oh, Iron Man with the lasers. Oh, this is as good as anything about Battle of the York. I'm sorry, people. The, I, uh, the, the, the only sad part is they don't destroy him. And he causes a lot of problems because they don't destroy him. <laughs> with the benefit of hindsight, so we did. And that the robots would be scared of the Hulk, and they're right to be so. All right, and then they do the smart thing, which is try and escape because they lost this battle. <laughs> Don Cheadle's so famous now. I love that he does this role, but they give him so much to do. They're setting him up for Civil War. He's hilarious. He's great in the suit. <laughs> okay, what? It's kind of subtle what he's referring to there because he's at the mask. But he has no idea what the vision is. I guess they didn't have time to explain it. But yeah, it, you know, they let Wanda protect the thing that needs the most protection. You know, it's a bit of a plot device to show her power, to show that they have already started trusting her. Right, and have this last dialogue where they're making fun of each other before he tragically dies. And then his death actually coaxes her away from what she's supposed to be protecting because she wants to kill Ultron. (laughs) He promised his wife he wasn't doing any more project. Now he's going to destroy the dining group. And see, this, yeah, this is the spirit of the Avengers and Joss Whedon, that they can have this conversation in the middle of battle, and that this is exactly when they'd have these mundane conversations to keep them sane. You know, in the first movie, uh, here's the, the failed lullaby that you know is going to be a failed lullaby. You know, in the first movie, when Black Widow, <laughs> you know, punches Hawkeye's lights out to get him out of Loki's mind spell um, from the scepter, they can't process what's going on. And Black Widow has a great line that I can't, I won't be able to quote. These are monsters and gods and aliens and things we've never dealt with before, meaning as shield agents, where it's all been Earth based. You know, and, and now they've seen a lot more craziness after New York and Ultron and everything, but, you know, they're still the two most human. They don't have, you know, traditional superpowers or super suits. And 
they hint at their friendship in the first movie. I didn't know if that chemistry was going to work out, but yeah, Hawkeye and, and Black Widow. Brilliant. You know, technically secondary characters to the big three, or I guess four, you count the Hulk as the fourth, but as much as Scarlet stole her screen time in the first movie, the two of them, I mean, this is the thing. There are so many balls in the air, and they keep getting more balls in the air because they keep adding more characters. And yet everyone has the perfect amount of screen time. And the Avengers, Thor, and Hawkeye got a little screwed. And here you have the Vision and the Twids, and yet <laughs> Thor gets a ton more to do. Hawkeye gets so much more to do. Right, and here they're, you're like, okay, Hawkeye's going to die. Although the shot of Quicksilver before, I, I kind of picked up on it that he was going to die. I, I didn't predict before the movie that he specifically would die. I had a feeling they were going to kill one. But between his final exchange with his sister, which was just a little too brother-sister cutesy. Oh, man. This guy gasps. And, uh... Oh, it's such... Uh, I'm getting chills right now. Aaron Taylor Johnson. I mean, you know, in retrospect, they were clearly building up Scarlet Witch. Right here... Just, I mean, they're mutants. It's a shame they can't say it outright in, the, in this movie because of the Fox owning X-Men and everything mutant. But her powers are pure mutant powers. And what makes mutants mutants is that many of them get more powerful when they get angry. Especially when they're at a young age and still developing them. And we will see that Scarlet Witch has at least one more power that we... Not seen yet. Oh, this is so tender and beautiful. That's the thing. I mean, if you don't love the Banner Romanoff love story, I just feel bad for you. Now, you know, if you've only seen this movie and not the whole other rest of the series, then I could get it feeling like a regular <laughs> but slightly weird love story. <laughs> for God's sakes. Right, they try and kill Ultrad for a second time and they fail. What's interesting is, you know, he has the robots on their own protocol because Scarlet Witch rips out his heart, which I wasn't crazy about. But, you know, even after that happens, one of the remaining robots uh, hits the lever and that causes the, the meteorite to start plummeting down. You know, when I first saw this, I thought... Hawkeye was a little too jokey in this situation, even for Whedon. But with the music and the way he just stares at Quicksilver, and then, oh, I'm getting chills here again, people. Goosebumps. Even though this whole dialogue I could have written, it doesn't matter. She, and Spader, but she... Right, do you know how it felt? Rips out the heart, felt like this. You know exactly what's happening. But Elizabeth Olsen is so brilliant. And what's great about her character moving forward is that this anger and sadness is just going to drive her motivation um, even way beyond what we've seen. And it's going to be a challenge for her to keep track of her emotions. I mean, in the X-Men comics, she goes from good guy to bad guy, and she gets really bad. She tries to kill, you know, most of the mutants. In the world, at some point, I believe. That looks great. The planet falling down with the helicarrier. Yeah, and you thought it was just going to... I mean, they hinted that there was going to be a downward propulsion system to really blast the Earth 
Here we go. Didn't see this coming. He's using every last bit of his energy. That's coming straight from his fusion reactor in the suit. You had to have Thor do this, the two of them. Oh. Yeah, this shot of Vision flying. It looks so real. Oh, man. That's the best flying ever. Vision's flying, I think, is the best flying ever. Yeah, the logistics of this plan actually (laughs) work. Oh, this looks amazing. And you just don't want it to be over. I mean, that whole thing takes at least a half an hour, but... Oh, that's the big vibranium thing. I was hoping you'd see the vibranium hit the ocean, but it's implied, and this is great. Tony's just barely surviving. And you know Thor's gonna live. They don't oversell that. This is so sad. So, as soon as she says, hey, big guy, we did it on the screen, you kind of know where this is going, but it doesn't make it any less heartbreaking. I mentioned in my Avengers commentary of the first movie that when she gets shaken up by the Hulk attacking her and her inability to keep him at bay, which was teasing their romance later, didn't know at the time, that seeing her that shaken up when Hawkeye can recognize that you know she's more scared than she's ever been because of the Hulk and Loki and the whole situation, that you know Romanoff never quite loses it emotionally. To that extent, she is a little traumatized when she finds out that, you know, S.H.I.E.L.D. is Hydra. And I think, you know, this is her greatest emotional trauma since that first movie of, of Hulk abandoning her or just running away. The choral music, um, for they really saved the choral music for the final Sokovia scene, and it just sells the whole thing, as great as the whole movie shot, every single shot of the of the Sokovia battle. And I call it the Sokovia battle, but this, I mean, this is what it's about. The failed AI attempt and the successful one. Paul Bettany just kills it, and that's what, you know. Without, without the twins and the vision who were added for this movie... It's a very good B-plus or A-minus movie. But with their addition, how seamless it was, and how they expand the Marvel Universe, both literally and figuratively, a thing isn't beautiful because it lasts. Uh, You're unbearably naive. (laughs) I was born yesterday. I like how they don't show it. You just see the glow. That's awesome. I was born yesterday. And yet, through the mind gem, his knowledge extends back to the beginning of the universe, at least. But, you know, Vision's Vision being able to pull off being an android, but having some semblance of a feeling, if not emotion. And, I mean, Paul Bettany as Vision, through his performance and through the costume and makeup and effects, he becomes three-dimensional almost immediately, like the twins, but for a very different reason, obviously. And in a way, his self-awareness is paralleled by the twins' self-awareness, even though they're caused by and manifested by... manifested in (laughs) extremely different... extremely different ways. 
And I, I think that's another clue to the bond with, with Scarlet Witch and Vision. So, I loved how this movie ended. <laughs> I heard someone was like offended by that joke. People, people groaned at the Catholic rabbits thing from Fury. I, I, I don't know. I thought the Catholic rabbit joke was great. Maybe more Jewish humor. I love Catholic people. I think Catholics and Jews have a lot in common. That's why I think it works for me. Right. I mean, she's very sad and disappointed, but she's not. She's not. You know wholly traumatized like in the first Avengers and that's the thing and when I was doing the Avengers commentary I was talking a lot about Age of Ultron and and how Whedon was teasing slash building their relationship Banner and Romanoff then is but it's seamless whether Whedon intended it or not Yeah, it's not clear what Fury's role is going to be. It seems like he is working for S.H.I.E.L.D. again, which is run, run by Cap. Oh, this is great. You think this is all philosophical, <laughs> but it's going back to the hammer. <laughs> nice guy. Artificial. <laughs> and you think the joke's over. Yeah, that's the important thing. That's why Vision's guy has to die. Elevator's not worthy. Uh, I'm going to miss these little chats. And here's the right there's the Tony Thorpe. See, Robert Downey Jr. is so clearly heterosexual when it comes to Pepper Potts and other women, especially in the early movies. But man, does he sell these bromances. I mean, Trample Yahtzee. I'm not sure the younger generation gets that one. Here's the big three. Right, there's Thanos and the Infinity Stones, but Stark is really the true mystery of the universe, indeed. I love this line. <laughs> See, the, the temptation would be to stop the humor for the somewhat serious ending, but... Okay, a lot of manful tears, that's straight from Firefly. Not that exact line, but the manful tears. Uh, manful is a very weeded-esque word. That's a nice little trick in the car to drive itself. I guess these days that's pretty easy. It's a V10, by the way. Right. So, uh, you know. The Anthony Mackie appearance as um, Sam Wilson slash Falcon. Uh, the, the party at the beginning was important to keep him in the minds of the audience because he's going to be huge in Civil War and going forward as a new Avenger, as we'll be about to see. But... He also has that great exchange with Cap about, did you find a place in Brooklyn? And Cap says, I don't think I can afford Brooklyn. People, let me tell you, Philadelphia audiences did not get the I can't afford a place in Brooklyn joke. I definitely did. I've lived there. Most of my friends live there. That's great. <laughs> We're not the 27 Yankees. I'm going, yeah, uh, you're definitely the 27 Yankees. Oh, man, here we go. The new Avengers. But this is Cap's home. And that's what he was talking about with Tony. Okay. This gave me chills. I knew she could fly in the comics, but uh, you can tell she's just mastering it. It's a great little tease there. And she could fly. <gasps> or she'll be able to fly. Okay, so I heard the story behind this one. I think Marvel really wanted them to finally say Avengers Assemble, but John Sweden. 
does not like being told what to do. I mean, he's okay taking, you know, general instructions, obviously. He wouldn't be doing these projects if, if he couldn't take some orders from the brass at Marvel, Kevin Feige and company. But little things like that, when it comes to humor or just dialogue, he really will fight for individual lines. I mean, you know, if you hear any of the, the Firefly or... um. Uh, serenity commentaries he often was fighting for dialogue bits um even more than you know like action scenes that had to be cut you know he that's the thing with joss he does the action he does the sci-fi he claims not to like doing that you know he, he says he hates shooting action and you know he's just being uh <laughs> genially disingenuous uh which he does so well but he did not want to say Avengers Assemble. In fact, I wonder if them telling him to do it made him not want to do it. Like, he was going to do it before. By the way, these wax statues of all the heroes with the, with the credits is phenomenal. And, and, you know, it's taken straight from that, the giant hero circle, which I could just watch that hero circle part all day long, you know, starting when they, they first circle around the stone and ending with Vision, Thor, and Iron Man. <laughs> create you know arguably the um, most uh, powerful combined energy blast ever seen at least on this planet i mean you know iron man's one thing you know thor's thunder is quite another but <laughs> the mind gem is quite another in fact you know i should you think they would have vaporized him so this continues the Thanos being the big bad guy that they're teasing for like seven years, not being that interesting. Now, they ha I guess they felt they had to mirror the first Avengers movie. But we already know the gauntlet exists. I mean, Thanos is looking slightly better with each movie from Avengers 1 to Guardians to this, but he's still he's not quite there. The gauntlet looks amazing, and you can see where the stones go. That should have been the end credit sequence. I don't think they have an end credit sequence. People were disappointed about about that sequence and the lack of an end credit sequence. But so much to talk about in the wrap up here. As I listen to the great Avengers music, which they really improved in the second movie. There were some complaints again, maybe because the first movie was rushed. There were some complaints that the sort of Avengers theme music was not so original. You know, it's the sort of the Hans Zimmer effect. Everything sounds like the Gladiator soundtrack with Zimmer. But they really improved it. I'm not sure if it was the same guy. I have to look it up. Everything's better. Music's better. CGI's better. Um, I'm not going to say the dialogue is better. You know, it doesn't hit at the same percentage as the Avenger, but, you know, that's partially because there's two or three times... Uh, the density in terms of dialogue and jokes in this movie than the first. So more stuff lands in terms of sheer numbers just because it, it's so overwhelming. But I am cool with some of the jokes not landing. In fact, it would be too much. And I think Joss realized it'd be too much if it was all funny. It wasn't a lack of ability or, or will or desire. It's just very quippy. And the thing is, you know... I talked earlier about how I give Joss Whedon a pass when a couple, you know, lines or scenes don't fully, fully land, fully connect. But if you watch Firefly and Serenity, 
you know, that's just how he rolls. There's going to be outright hilarity. There's going to be subtle jokes that even really smart people don't get on the first listen. And there's going to be a lot of stuff in between. I would argue, and maybe this isn't such a, you know, a radical original argument, but I would argue that comedy is actually what held the first movie together, other than just the sort of, you know, coming together story, which was executed to a T from a character standpoint. Comedy in this movie is supplementary to the action and the drama. And I think, you know, that's one of the many things that people who really prefer the first to the second will point to. You could argue the whole isn't quite the sum of the parts, but the parts are so basic that it overwhelms the whole, you know? it's I keep making the Matrix Reloaded comparison, and, you know, from a pure cinematic standpoint, even I will not try and argue that Matrix Reloaded was nearly this good. It's definitely as rewatchable, especially because I love the philosophy in Reloaded. But Reloaded was very dense with both philosophy and action. In fact, it had a similar dynamic where it was really kinetic, really hectic, and then really slow with drama, dialogue, and philosophy. You know, not so much, you know, kind of uh, traditional or um, old school philosophy in this movie, but, you know, ethics and morals and doing the right thing and trying to find out what the right thing is, is you know, one of the main things that comic books are about, at least in the Marvel Universe. But, uh, I like the change of pace of this one. You know, as I pointed out, there's really six acts, four action acts, two, you know, drama slash character building slash comedy acts, even though the comedy runs throughout. Oh, there it is. Captain America, created by Joe Simon, Jack Kirby, Thanos, created by Jim Starlin. That's the thing. This is why I'm not worried about Thanos, even though I think that the teasing of him has been subpar so far. It's not that it's been subpar, it just hasn't been, you know, anything overwhelmingly cool or surprising. But Thanos is such a constant villain throughout the Marvel comic book universe, including properties like the X-Men and and certainly, I know for sure, Fantastic Four, who Fox owns, sadly. I don't think Fox is going to want to own Fantastic Four much longer after three bombs in ten years. But, um... But there's so much great material with Thanos in the comics, and even though when I was reading he wasn't really a part of it, I think, you know, like Apocalypse, for example, who was a huge part of the X-Men when I was reading, is an amazing villain, and they're building a whole movie around him. X-Men Apocalypse is way more compelling, even if he's a one- or two-dimensional bad guy. He's just It's just so much cooler. You know, I, I wonder when they're going to start bringing in... Here's the thing. Other than Loki, you know, I mean, Ronan is super cool. Ultron's a lot of fun. Loki's the only true three-dimensional, really interesting villain, which he's not even in the comics. Loki's actually way more cool and interesting. As someone who hasn't read much Thor, but has tried to catch up on it a little bit, Loki's more interesting and cool in the movies. But, you know, if you just look at the X-Men, you've got Apocalypse, you've got Mr. Sinister, we've seen Magneto. Not sure we're going to see Magneto again. 
Then you've got Strife from the Future. And that's just scratching the surface of the X-Men villains. The Avengers villains, I know there are a lot of others. The problem is the sharing of property by, you know, Fox and uh and Marvel. So like Marvel can't use mutants, but you know, because the Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver are prominent in both Avengers and X-Men in the comics, they have to share it. We've seen two Quicksilvers. I actually really like the Quicksilver in Days of Future Past. It was probably the coolest action scene by far. That one action scene with the, I think it was a David Bowie, I think, playing in the, in X-Men Days of Future Past, where it's, you know, bullet time, basically, and he's turning things different ways so that bullets don't hit people, and, you know, that, that people are, the, the bad guys are going to punch themselves in the face, but no one gets killed. Um, you know, that one scene is, uh, superior to anything Quicksilver did in this movie, but that's just because there were so many balls in the air. I mean, you know, I use that term a lot with the Avengers. It's getting ridiculous. I mean, even the best juggler in the world can't juggle, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12 balls in terms of the major characters. But, but, Quicksilver, weirdly, in Days of Future Past, they use him to break Magneto out, and they're like, okay, we don't need you anymore, even though you're maybe more powerful than any of us. Here they actually lower Quicksilver's ability smartly, but they give him dramatically so much more to do. The Avengers will return. Can't say enough about the twins. I can't say enough about Paul Bettany. I can't say enough about the rest of the cast. Joss Whedon, you know. (laughs) I've just come to accept the fact that, for me, the two Avengers movies are equals because both do things great that the others do not do. It's not that Age of Ultron fails where Avengers succeeds in some cases or vice versa. It's just that, you know, Joss Whedon was trying to do two totally different things and that's what Joss does and that's what I'm, I'm not worried because, you know, my close second to the two Avengers as the best comic book movies ever is Captain America uh, Winter Soldier, which is radically different and the Russo brothers are going to do a great job on Civil War. But as I've said before, Whedon is a wild card and, and there's really no one like him. And as great as Winter Soldier was, <laughs> you know, there was 5% where it just got too, you know, too much gravitas, too serious. And I have to imagine that they're going to give Whedon, if not a pass at the Civil War script, at least a consultant, because it has to be funnier. There are so many more characters. And, and you know, Captain America Civil War, Cap, and I guess Winter Soldier were the only ones with real superpowers, uh, you know. So they're going from, you know, one and a half superheroes to like a dozen and a half in Civil War. And so the Russos are gonna have to step it up now they're not writing it but Stephen McFeely and I can't someone Marcus uh, I forget their names they're the guys who have written both Thor movies and both I guess all three cat movies they succeeded with first Thor they mostly succeeded with first cat movie which I need to rewatch they definitely connected with Winter Soldier um, in 2014 not so much with Thor 2 in 2013 you know so they're batting around you know six or seven hundred which is pretty good so they need to they need to step it up with the comedy because not all the Thor comedy always hits the way Whedon stuff does. So 
Anyways, I could talk forever. We're way past the credits. And I'm not sure anyone's listening, you know, at this point, two and a half hours in. But if you are, I really appreciate it. Thanks for your loyal listening. I hope you enjoyed it. I love this movie. You know, both Avengers movies I could watch over and over again. Um, Winter Soldier I can watch a lot. But, you know, not back-to-back the way I can the Avengers because it, it doesn't have you know, quite enough comic relief. It's a little too heavy. Um, and it's not a criticism. It just, you know, it makes it slightly less rewatchable, even though I have it on my computer and Blu-ray and all sorts of stuff. So hope you enjoyed that. And I can't wait for Cap Civil War. I'm definitely going to do some lead-in podcasts up to that. By the time you're listening to this, uh, Star Wars Episode Seven will only be a couple months away. I'm going to probably do a mini-series of Star Wars. Uh, I love Star Wars growing up, but you know, Marvel's really taken over as my favorite, uh, my favorite property by far, um, or, ex- you know, extended universe, expanded universe, whatever you want to call it. So thanks again. Much love to you all. Have a good day or a good night. And I am out. Out.